Aloha, welcome to another episode of Doze Doze with yours truly, Dozer Dave. I hope you guys have had a great day. I know I have. I uh, got a good surfing with a bunch of my friends and uh, got my bronze on for all you ladies and was able to run over a boogie boarder today. Yeah, that was an extra bonus. Um, but we've got a great show today. But before we get to that, I want to thank all the people that make this show happen, make it become a reality, and uh, support me in everything that I do. And you guys all know that I'm a big fan of being in the ocean, and, and the Big Island is where I live. But uh, it's all because of its amazing waters and, and the amazing people that I spend time with here on the Big Island. And uh, I want to start off by thanking Kona Boys, which I got to surf with those guys today. Um, you know, these guys have been serving up gear for, for Island Life uh, for a long time, since 1996, when they started off uh, down in South Kona. And then they you know, opened up this killer beach shack at the King Kamehameha Hotel right in downtown Kona in 2009. Uh, these guys are pretty much a one-stop shop for ocean fun. You know, they have uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, that you guys can get into uh, down at the King Cam Hotel from... Uh, historical va'a rides and a va'a is a Hawaiian outrigger canoe so you guys can get into one of those with one of their guides and get to learn all about the big island and Hawaii life and um, they also have paddleboard tours and lessons and they're one of the only companies that are permitted to do kayak tours in Kealakekua Bay so if you need to rent any surfboards, bikes, boogie boards or other beach goodies go to Kona Boys Kona Boys is the spot if you need advice from trained water people who care about your experience in the water as well as health and preservation of the resources that we have here, then Kona Boys is your spot. If you want quality equipment for your Big Island adventure, then guess what? Kona Boys is your spot. Um, go to, they also have a website with great gear that you can go check out if you're stuck on the mainland and can't get over here. You can uh, go to Kono, KonaBoys.com and uh, get to check out all their great gear. Also, uh, we have a great deal for you guys that are here on the Big Island that come to visit us or go on to the website, uh, KonaBoys.com. You can get 15% off if you walk in and say, I heard this on Doe's Nose or go into their checkout online and punch in promo code Doze Nose, and you get 15% off all these great goodies, rentals, whatever it is you guys need to make your trip here to the Big Island much more enjoyable. Um, thanks, Kona Boys. Thanks, Brock and Frank. You guys rock. Uh, the next person I want to talk about is, is a good friend of mine, Logan Gelbridge. He is the guy that's just, you know, always there for me. He's helping make this dream a reality for me. He's my partner in crime on this podcast. And he started up this great company called Original Nutritionals. Um, these guys aren't your, aren't your regular meathead supplement brand. What it is, it's just pure basic and essential food and supplements to support what they call a clean athlete lifestyle. Uh, Logan founded this company with a food first approach. You know, he's been working with average men and women like you and I to the best action sport athletes and best team sport athletes in the world. These guys know how to do it right. And if you go see Logan, he'll get you all dialed in. Uh, you, what you can do is head over to originalnutritionals.com. 
Grab whatever you need. And once again, we have another promo code here. If you punch in Doe's Nose, again, you get 15% off. And that's 15% off with Doe's Nose at checkout. But when a, I'm super excited about this sponsor here. He's, he's another one of my longtime friends. And uh, you guys may heard, uh, have heard of Hurley Clothing. Well, Bob Hurley is a good friend of mine. And I've known him for a long time. And I remember when he started this brand back in 99. At that time, surfing was all about being cooler than the other guy and keeping it as exclusive as possible. But when Bob launched Hurley, it, he pretty much went out there and he changed the perception of what surfing can be. For him, it's about positivity. It's about fun, inclusiveness. You know, making the absolute best product and empowering the next generation. Fast forward to today, and his vision has never been more relevant. Hurley, you know, they make the best board shorts on the planet. Planet. They have uh, you know, what they call the Phantom board shorts. These things are awesome. They stretch all the way around. Your knees don't get caught up when you're out there doing those big giant hacks or those giant errors. Um, I know my knees don't get caught up when I'm doing those big giant hacks, <laughs> right? Uh, but hands down, they're the best. And But there's so much more to the brand from their partnership with Nike to work on clean drinking water you know, across the world. Um, and, and, you know, they have such great athletes on their team. You've got people like John John Florence and Chris Amore and Amayan Goodwin. And the list goes on and on and on. But Hurley is the brand of now and tomorrow for surfers and anyone else interested in getting in the water. So please go check them out at Hurley.com. Go see all that killer gear and watch these guys take care of you. And you'll be sporting the sickest clothing out there on the market. Um, my last and final sponsor here for the show is uh, GoPro. You know those little tiny cameras that everybody puts on their surfboards and their bicycles? Well, yeah, they're sponsoring this show. And we're actually recording all of these podcasts with GoPros so that you guys can check them out and, and, and see what we're doing here behind the scenes. You know, it's not just a podcast, but it's a visual podcast as well. Um, GoPro has been transforming the way people visually capture and share their lives. What began as an idea to help athletes self-document themselves, you know, engaging in their sport, GoPro has become a standard for how people capture themselves, engaged in their interests, whatever they may be. From extreme to mainstream, professional to consumer, GoPro enables the world to capture and share its passion in the form of immersive and engaging content. So if you guys want, go to or not if you want, I highly suggest, go to www.gopro.com or connect with GoPro on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Go check out all these killer videos. Go see our own videos for this show and get you a GoPro. Get out there, capture all these special events that you can. And I just want a big thanks to all you guys for making this happen, for being there for me. But we've got a great show today. I want to get on to it. We have a special guest, and I'm super, super excited about this guy. Has uh, you've seen him everywhere from action sports, from uh, X Games to Red Bull TV, and he just was the uh, commentator for the Vulcan Pie Pro. Uh, let's give a big warm welcome to Sal Masakela.
don't know Now you Those knows Everybody knows those now Everybody knows those now Everybody knows those And if you don't know guys welcome to this week's episode of doze nose and this week doze nose sal masakela dude dude what I'm am i really stoked that you ended up going with doze nose thanks buddy it was it was kind of your idea wasn't it i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna i wasn't gonna say that but yeah i when you sent me all the list of the um other names i look at like balance of rhythm right. of how shit feels and Dozer Nose was cool, but I was like, Doze Nose. Oh, yeah, because I gave you a whole list, like yeah. Dozer's World. Dozer's World. Uh, I wanted it to be original. Right. I didn't want it to sound like anything else and something that people could be like, oh, have you heard Doze Nose? Right. Dozer Nose is just, just, that's one syllable more work that's unnecessary. It's sure. going to look good on a t-shirt. Sure. I'm looking forward to the animation. And the website. And the website and all that. But well, Speaking of animation, I saw you on anima- animated. You're a cartoon now. Yeah, Drew Tunes. Um, <laughs> Drew Tunes is, is amazing. You can check him out. Uh, he's on Instagram at Drew, D-R-E-W, Tunes, T-O-O-N-Z. Um, he's this really cool uh, artist uh, and animation guy that Volcom uses right. for all their stuff. And he animates... Everybody during the contest, but I've never been animated before. Wow! I yeah, I've only been once by Kevin Ansel. That's pretty. And he cool. made me look like a dick. <laughs> well, Jutian's made me look pretty, pretty fucking cool. Um, he even put warts on me. Yeah, no, he did not. He, he did too. <laughs> I was a camouflage dick. I mean, he got my face perfect. The head. That's Kevin Ansel. That's Kevin Ansel. He's well, gonna be a. He's gonna. There's always gonna be a little bit more dark interpretation from the work of Ansel. So yeah, I was, I, I was like, draw me, draw me the way you see me. No, he's seeing. He basically is seeing the the inner depths of you. I mean, you're a hunter, right? You know, of food you eat mm-hmm. and and women. Mm. And I think maybe he wanted to pull out some of that darkness. <laughs> he definitely pulled it out. <laughs> but let's let's kind of uh, give a little breakdown about you, Sal. Um, you know, you are the voice and the face of of action sports. You know, you've been around. You've uh, you know, you started off with your dreadlocks. That's how everybody kind of knew you in the beginning. Yeah. Now you're not nice and clean cut now, and you know it was it was you would see Sal in surfing and and snowboarding and skateboarding and motocross and you were just like the Olympic man of action sports and how did you get started in all of this? It's really weird it's really weird to hear someone's I still don't know how to take it when someone says uh, voice and face of, of action sports because that's just not something that makes any sense to me and I'm honored that some people think of it that way um, I think I've been there to, I've had the privilege of being able to be there to chronicle a lot of really magic moments. Mm-hmm. And when I look at back at my life professionally, it's it's been about that being able to be there for these really incredible moments across the the plane of action sports. And you were just there last yeah. week, a couple of days ago. Yeah. While Kelly won the Vulcan Pipe Pro. Yeah, to be there sitting in the booth, calling you know, the shots, calling the the broadcast while. 
one of your best friends is winning his tenth championship in in a, a pipeline at its absolute most beautiful. Just those, those last two days were probably the best pipe we've ever seen in competition. No, no, probably. Yeah, the best, the best pipeline I think it's ever been competed in. I mean, it was two days of pipeline off its face perfection no lulls no lulls just non-stop nobody was fighting for waves because Pump, it was yeah. constant there's no jockeying when it's six to eight to ten foot to twelve foot to, to, tw- 15. to twelve foot like, oh is that third reef capping yeah um it was really special to, to to be a part of that but my start in in action sports if you will came in a really weird way I grew up in New York City mm-hmm as a kid in Staten Island and Manhattan and then uh, my mom and stepdad moved to New England for a couple of years that was really weird mm-hmm. uh, and then my mother decided she didn't want to be cold anymore when I was 16 and we moved to Carlsbad, California Were you always athletic? I was always athletic Playing um, baseball and football? I didn't, I didn't play on teams but I, you know when you grow up in New York like everyone's always playing Stickball. You're playing stickball. You're playing wiffle ball. You're playing football. Um, my buildings had a pool, uh-huh. um, and it was a pool that wasn't open to anybody else in the in the neighborhood except if you lived in these two buildings. Right. And so in the summer, we played really crazy pool games. Mm-hmm. We played this game called Shark, where all the kids would land up line up on one side of the pool, mm-hmm. and then there'd be one kid, usually a bigger, older kid, on the other side of the pool. And you had to make it underwater to the other side of the pool, touch the wall, and swim up um, before getting caught by the shark. Right. When the shark caught you, he didn't just tag you. He had to wrestle you to the surface. (laughs) And we started playing that game when I was probably six, seven years old. And a lot of times, you know, the the kid who would be the shark would be like a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid. Right. And you're like eight, nine. Yeah. And you're like eight, nine years old. Um... And it was, it was, it was, it was a game where you built a really big reputation in the neighborhood if you were a good swimmer. Right. Um, and so, because of that, I became. I was always really comfortable being underwater. I mean, I don't know how we didn't drown as kids because the other part is, once you got caught and brought to the surface, then you became shark. Right. And the goal was you wanted to be the last kid standing against all the other kids on the other side of the pool. Uh, do you have brothers and sisters? I don't. I, well, I have a baby brother, um, but he's nine years my junior. Gotcha, so he wasn't so, around so he, for So he wasn't around for that. Um, but it was, you know, I played that game until I moved out of the city, you mm-hmm. know, until I was, you know, I was just before I turned 14. Um, and that was, that was big. I didn't know how it ended up serving me later on in life. Uh, and then a few years later, you know, living in California, um, you know, moving to Carlsbad, which was surf, you know, a, a surf skate town, right? You know, right on the beach, um, where there wasn't a lot of ethnic diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, there was I'd never seen Mexicans before. Well, you know, it's <laughs> you're like one of the first black surfers. I don't think I'm. I think I'm one of the first, maybe black surfers that people knew of on maybe a larger scale um, or you know but I think there, there was a kid there was a guy named Cab Spates mm-hmm. from Virginia Beach 
who he was the first black surfer I saw, mm. and he had like some waves in the end credits of a of a Billabong video. And I remember like pausing the VCR and arguing with my friend, being like, "That kid's black," because you know we didn't have HD then. Was right. Like, I'm like, no. He's black. No, he's super tan. And then I saw him in the back of Surfer Magazine one year, um, small little picture, and sure enough, and that just filled me. I was like, yes, yeah. there's, there's a black guy and he's pro. Yeah. Um, but my my starting to surf came from moving to this town. Mm-hmm. I was did not want to move to California. I was bummed. I tried to move in with my dad in New York because right. um, I lived there on the weekends with him. And my dad's a musician. He's traveling all the time. And he's like, no, you're going with your mother and your stepfather. And when I got there, I was I was not stoked, man. I didn't I didn't want to be there. I was depressed. But I remember the the first morning that we woke up after driving across the country and seeing the ocean from the top of the hill. We lived a few miles off the beach, and going, hmm, I'm curious. Well, what what's this place all about? And I met this really cool kid. These two kids, Justin and Saul, who I'm still best friends with to this day, mm-hmm. and they invited me to their house that Saturday. Uh, to come learn to surf I showed up at their house and put on a they gave me a wetsuit I went in the bathroom put it on I walked out into the driveway and everyone just started dying laughing and I was like what? what what's what's everybody laughing about? you have it all backwards? I had the zipper up the front but anything that I'd ever worn with a zipper right. before went in the front right. like no stupid you gotta you gotta, you gotta put it on uh, this way so I went back in and Anyway, it was a big day. It was probably like six feet, and they told me I wasn't going to make it out. Uh-huh. So they're like, look, here's what you do. They gave me like pop-up lessons on the beach, and off they paddled. I made it out. Outside. It took me a half hour, but it made it out. Like, imagine, like, legs splayed wide open. Oh, yeah, like, just you know, flailing. Just that awkward paddle, but just full determination. But the reason why I made it out was because of that shark game as a kid. Right. Like, I didn't get rattled getting rolled by waves. Uh-huh. And so I just sort of stayed the course. And when I got out there, they were like, what are you doing here? Like, how did you get out of here? Uh, this was at Cherry Street uh, in Carlsbad. And then yeah. a set came. And I'd never seen that before. I was like, what the fuck? Like, what do you do? And they're like, just turn around and paddle. <laughs> um, so I paddled as hard as I could. And long story short, I couldn't stand up until I, I got into the whitewater. Mm-hmm. And I got into the whitewater and I remembered the beach lessons and I popped up. For like 10 seconds in the whitewash it was like time stopped literally stopped I'll never forget what like everything just became super slow motion and I, I felt like something filmy I don't know right. what it was but right. I think it was the shred spirit and uh-huh. that was it my whole life changed the whole direction of my life changed and I wanted to know everything that you was were 13 I was 16 late bloomer mm. I was 16, about to be 17. That was in May of uh, 88. So you're like, how? In the, it's, 16 is too late. These yeah. kids have all been surfing forever. But I surfed every day for about 180 days, rain wow. or shine. Wow. I'd go, I, I got an old board from my friend Saul's dad. And I just Did I you start off with thing. a long board or no, short board? No, started off on a short board. Yeah, me too. Um, which I'm very, very grateful for. No offense to the longboarders out there, but I'm grateful for because I had to catch up. And then as a kid, it's, you know, it's peer pressure. You want to be as cool as all these other kids. They have a whole culture. They have all this history of each, with each other growing up. I had to learn what that was about. I would go and read 
surfer magazines in the library at school. Right. And Your learn the walls history. are just littered in posters. And, and yeah, and learn the history. And, you know, you learn about, you know, Duke Anamoku and I'd see all these photos and I'd, I'd learn. I wanted to learn about it. Right. And watch videos with friends. And that was it. You know, just it, it, it changed my life. I didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. I worked every odd job under the sun from construction to bar backing to bartending. I was a bank teller at Bank of America wow. for two and a half years. I worked in the customer service center at Bank of wow. America. I was a janitor. Uh, door-to-door sales. I did do door-to-door sales. At one point, I was selling um, credit card point-of-sale yeah. purchase machines at at businesses but because that was a new thing. Right. I sold magazines once. Yeah. yeah. You know, you do what you had to do. I sold... Um, I washed windows yeah. at model homes across Southern California with friends. Um, whatever I could do to support the habit. And my so parents were freaked out. How did you get into this scene, though? Action sports. Well, I, I, I think I was 21 or 22 when I was bussing tables at this restaurant in Encinitas called uh, the, the Potato Shack. Mm-hmm. I know that. Yeah, bus tables there during the day, and I was a bar back at the Belly Up in Solana Beach right. at night. And this guy, Chad DeNena, um, came in with a bunch of other people, and I saw that all everyone at the table was wearing badges for the, S- the ASR trade show, mm-hmm. and their badges said Transworld. It wasn't my section. But I walked up to, and this is probably when Trans World first started. Yeah, because they were they were they were the newest magazine, and they were only the, surfer and surfing. They were the, yeah, and they were the bible of the sport for snowboarding and skateboarding. Right, which I also did. Mm-hmm. I started snowboarding six months after I started surfing, and I had been skating already a little bit back east before I came out here. I didn't know anything about the culture, but I had been riding skateboards, and uh, I saw that, and I walked up to the kid whose section was like, "Dude, you need me that table? Yeah. I'll give you like." five bucks like that's my table he's like alright dude whatever you want to bust that table cool you know I'm up there like slowly putting their their cups and plates and bringing them their water and just trying to stoke them out and finally Chad kind of looked up and was like what's up man I was like hey what's up and uh, we, we started talking they said they worked at Transworld my mind was blown I just started asking them questions and he started coming in all the time and then finally one day he, uh, he said to me he was like, what are you doing with your life like you obviously like you're you're not afraid to talk to people. Good, you're, yeah, good people person. Like you you got people skills. You're outgoing. You know what are you doing? What do you want to do? I was like I don't know, man. I just I literally love I love surfing and snowboarding and skateboarding, and I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And by this time, my parents were over me, like with love. But you know what I mean? Like they're like, what the fuck with this kid? He didn't had an opportunity to go to college. Um, pretty much on a full ride not because I was academically qualified but because my aunt is a esteemed academic and professor wow. and she had worked it out so I was going to be able to go to the school uh, in DC um, and my and I said no and when you tell your parents like no and my dad is for the a little background my dad's a political exile from South Africa mm-hmm. for 30 years living in the states he's Super learned. He's an incredible musician, traveling the world, trying to end apartheid. And here's his kid who's like, eh, thanks, but no thanks. Right. On, on the college thing. And you're surfing? My, my dad was like, well, what is, what is surfing going to get you? Like, he's, and I mean, you know what? My, the funny thing is, 
my dad never made fun of me about surfing. He was kind of blown away. But he was like, if you're into it that much, then you need to figure out a way to get into it. And get into it. Make it work for you. Like, at one point, he offered to pay to sponsor me for a year. Wow. He's like, I'll give you $25,000. Go live in Hawaii for a year and see... If it's gonna work, if it's if it's gonna work for you, because I did, I got good quick, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't. Also, I was in a weird place with my dad. Where I was like, I want your money. Right. Like, I don't, I don't need you to do it. Sure, I'm cool. And I still sometimes <laughs> wonder about that one. Not that you know, being young and having that ego where you tell your parents that you don't want their help. But in the, in the end, I think it was. But you were driven. You were, was you driven. were a driven person. But he let that fire underneath me. And anyway. Um, Chad said to me we're looking for someone at Transville mm-hmm. um, he was a junior ad sales uh, rep there and he needed someone to work underneath him and he gave me his card mm-hmm. and uh, I was like no way he said call me call me tomorrow I'm such a dumbass that I was too nervous to call him for like two or three days and finally my roommates were like what are you doing dude you got a job you got a job at Transworld. I called the dude. I called him, and he said, you blew it. Like, I told you to call me two days ago. Like, we hired somebody. No You're way. You're done. I'm depressed all week long. <laughs> he calls me the following Monday, leaves a message at the voicemail at my house, and says, our, our uh, receptionist just decided that she's going to college. Mind you, I was going to be a junior ad sales representative. He calls me and tells me, that they're looking for a new receptionist. He's like, I can't make you any promises, but if you get in here and hustle, answer phone, you can make something happen. Right. Call them immediately, and that's how it started. Wow. It started at Transworld in nineteen ninety-three, and I bet you were just psyched sitting oh, at that front desk watching all of these so pro surfers and snowboarders coming surfers, in. Surfers, snowboarders, like, skateboarders, like just freaking out. You know, I remember the first time that uh, I got a phone call for Grant Britton, who's this famous, legendary skateboard photographer. And the guy's like, can I talk to Grant, please? He's like, sure, I'm asked who's calling. Tony Hawks. Just one moment. Or like when Terry Hawkinson, uh, the snowboarder, uh, came in the first time. And, you know, it was it was wild, but... They would have events that they put on. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first ones was this thing called Board Aid, a fundraiser up in Big, Red, Big Bear. And I overheard the woman uh, who was the events director at the time talking about how they needed to get an MC. And I was like, I could do it. Just said it. I didn't know why I said it, but like, I could do it. I'd been there like six months. Right. And she said, Really? I was like, Yeah. And that's how I started MCing. Wow. I you bet know? you just blew the top off Big Bear Mountain right there. I did. Yeah, I, I mean, know you did. I'll never forget that first time. I was like, okay, it's your time to go. And I just didn't have a plan. I just started, you know, I, I think I did like a Good Morning Big Bear a la Good Morning Vietnam from, uh, <laughs> from uh, what's, his, what's his name? And uh, Rob, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Yeah, may yeah. rest in peace. And um, yeah, that was, that, was, that was how I started, man. And... and and I started working in the industry. I was at Transworld for a few years, and I went to Planet Earth Skateboards and mm-hmm. as a sales rep. And people would start calling me to do different things to announce events because back then there weren't big sponsors. You know, no, it was no. just it was just uh, your friends putting on events, and we were all taking turns on the mic. Mm-hmm. 
Right. I wasn't getting paid for it. Right. And just, well, the one thing about you is that you're super, super confident, and it just exudes everywhere you go. So when I, I see you, whenever you get on the mic, and it's just you own it, dude. It's you're just being yourself, and just, not conscious when I'm on the mic. You're not. It's, it's just, like a, it flows. It's I don't. People tell me what happened or what I said or something funny afterwards. I'm not. I'm, it's. I guess the best part about it from the very beginning is I never felt like I had to try. Right. I just wanted to be there. I was having all the fun in the world, and yeah. I wanted people to feel like I just happened to be holding the mic, but I'm right here with you saying right. what you would say if you were holding the mic. It was right. kind of, when I look back, that's what I was going after. And, you know, people started, the big companies, I said, you know, in the, the, the mid-90s started to realize that there was this whole huge you know, world of, of millions of kids that were into this thing that no one was aware of. Right. You know, and that there was a whole subculture and all these brands and then they saw money and Madison Avenue was like, let's get into this. Yeah. And X Games was a huge part, which was started off as the now, Extreme Games. Right. Did you start off by doing like surf events before that? Yeah, I did surf events, I did snowboard events, I did skateboard events. I was the live announcer at the trade shows for Vert Ramps. I would do demos at a shop. People would call and be like, hey, we heard you're good. On the mic, there's a there's a skate demo. Um, we'll give you seventy five dollars store credit if you come announce. Like sweet, Done. I'm there. That's like a trunks and a t shirt or maybe right. some shoes. This is back in the early nineties. Yeah, huh? this is this is early mid nineties, and then there'd be a, same thing would happen. I get a call from like a, a mountain, um, you know, like somewhere sometimes as far away as Oregon. When no and people be like, hey, you know, we're doing this contest up in Mount Hood, and we heard you really. You're good on the mic, and we'll give you lift tickets uh, and a place to stay for the weekend. What? And a bar bill. And no, not a bar bill. <laughs> but you know, we'll fly you Free up. Bar tab. And you're like, and I would just mooch off of all my friends who work for companies with sure. a bar bill. But yeah, that was a thing. And so that was what my weekends would be like. You know, once a month, and get back. You know, there's no internet or anything back then. But so it's, it's literal word of mouth. Yeah, that was uh, that was going around. It was fun, man. I was a young kid. All my friends are competing in the contest. I'm just talking shit on the microphone. Oh yeah, you know, you're literally trying you're to. You're still talking shit on the microphone, <laughs> <laughs> but you're you, having fun. Yeah, you're literally. And you're getting paid now. I would make shit up to the point where I would try if I could get someone to laugh in the middle of their run or almost fuck up. I was doing something good, <laughs> um, but now that would never fly. But that's that. I would, I would if I didn't know who someone was, I'd just make up a bio about them and talk about. It'd this. be great if these guys, like at, at Pipe on this last event, had earpieces they could hear you and Wassel. Oh my! <laughs> they would they would be face planting on every wave. Man, I can't take any credit for that. <laughs> Dave Wassel, uh, legendary North Shore lifeguard and just big, big wave, wave helmet charger. Wassel hashtag Wasselhoff. We got to make it a thing. I don't know what goes on in his mind, but the things that come out of his mouth when he's talking about a wave, it's just gemstones, and it just makes my job yeah. easy. We have a natural rapport with each other. We'd only worked together once before this, right. and it was fun. It was years ago. But at this Vulcan by Pro, someone came out of a barrel, and he just goes, look at that, like a whispering swan. <laughs> whispering swan? What the I hell is a whispering like, swan? You just... And now, but we're live. <laughs> I started dying laughing just like everyone else at home. Trust me, everyone at home was dying because I'm rolling. I yeah. know you guys both really well. Oh, man. 
it and was, I was tears were running down my face. It was, it was, it was all the time. It was pretty epic. So, yeah, man, you know, just weird shit like that happened, and then I do some stuff on MTV. You know, when people started putting this stuff on TV, they would call the magazines and be, like, "Who can we get to, to talk about this stuff with Carson Daly and that know about the sports?" And people like get a call out. I forgot about that. I remember seeing you with Carson Daly. Yeah, and, the, and the, you know what's funny is in the beginning, the first time that they recommended me to MTV, they MTV didn't hire me. Huh? They literally was like, "He's black. Huh. Like, what does he know what? about these sports?" And it's not really like it doesn't fit for us. Like that's kind of a hard sell. So they hired this blonde-haired girl with really big boobs who claimed to be a pro snowboarder. And like, oh, cool, that'll work. And that first year that they did the MTV Sports and Music Festival, she was horrible. Horrible. And I was bummed. That was the first of, like, many different sort of race things that I, that I went through, you know, sort of coming through the, the business. Um, there were others when I was younger. Mm -hmm. You know, I got... I worked. I used to work at this surf shop uh, called Hobie. It's now Surf Ride uh, Surf Shop in Over Oceanside, in Oceanside yeah. California. And when I had gotten that job, it was like the, I was like, finally, I hung out in that surf, in that shop every day. It's huge. It's like and, one of the biggest surf yeah. shops around. And then I finally like got a job there because one of my friends was a manager, and um, I was my best job ever. I was there early stayed late I was like I'm never losing this job right. you know different reps are coming in you're getting like discounts and pro forms like yes this is what I, anything I ever wanted and one day uh, I came in for work and my manager was like hey you know um, we gotta kind of take you off the schedule cause you're the last guy hired and things are kind of slow and you know so you know we don't know how long it'll be for but you know, you're, you're killing it, mm -hmm. but, you know, we got to take you off the schedule uh, for a little while. And I was like, I, and I remember, actually, I walked in. He didn't tell me. For, I just walked in and saw the schedule for the next week. I'm like, what's up? What the fuck's this? And so I'd call every week, like, or I'd come in, be like, what's up? No, not yet, not yet. And it took a couple months before I realized, like, oh, I'm, they never hired me back. Right. And I got, so I got my old job back at Bank of America. This was in 92. And um, they they banked at Bank of America. And maybe four months, five months into it, um, I'm just a little disillusioned. You're a young kid. Sure. Like, what, what the fuck just happened? Um, I get a phone call at the bank. Um, you're not supposed to get calls at the bank. So my manager comes up, and they hated me as it was there. Sure. I would go surf at lunch and come back like, dripping wet. <laughs> all like, salty. You're all salty. You're, you, got, you got your tie on crooked and your shirt's like clearly like wet. Um, you're probably, your dreadlocks were probably just I didn't starting have to grow yet. at that point. I didn't have dreads yet. I was, I was actually just like I am right now with, you know, a number one to the dome. But uh, my manager said, you can take the call, make it quick. I went back into the, into the back of the break room and it was my buddy Aaron, mm -hmm. who was the manager at the time. And he's like, "Hey, man, like, you know, I've just had this thing on my on my uh, on my conscience, and I, I I just gotta I gotta I gotta get it off my chest." And I'm like, "What the fuck? Did, did, what possibly could right. it be like?" And he said, "You know how when we uh, when we let you go, we didn't let you go because things were slow or business was bad. We let you go because uh, the owners." said that you didn't fit the image of 
the surf shop. Wow. And we had, they begged us. They didn't beg us. They told us that we had to, we had to fire you. And, you know, Dana and I couldn't, who was the co-manager, we just couldn't bring ourselves to do that. And so we just figured we'd let you off easy. Taking you off the schedule. By telling you that we had to take you off the schedule. I remember sitting in that break room and like thinking like a dingy, like, you know, shitty break room in a bank by myself, no one else in the room. My manager comes back there and be like, can you please get back out to the floor? And I was like in shock. Right. And he said to me, he's like, I want you to know that if you want to do anything about this or whatever, like I will hundred percent support you. It's just not right. And I, you know, I'd known him from high school mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, that was it. That was a trip, man. Dude, that is a trip. It's tripping me out right that, now. That was, that was a trip, especially since, you know, the guys who own that shop um, were very, they were very, very, very uh, upfront about their Christianity and were, like, super born again. And they still own that shop now? Yeah. And, and they got to be kicking their asses right now. It's pretty funny. I'm, I'm sure... Them, that they must. I hope. I hope they kick their asses. I hope their consciences. Also, down there, kick their ass. Um, uh, burn them. And I remember going through it and sort of trying to think about like, well, what do I do? And I told my mom, I was like, I'm gonna sue them. It's fucking. It's gonna I hope it. they're listening to this it's, podcast. It's gonna. They're going to be listening to this. I've never podcast. talked about this before. Really? Well, it should be. I talked about it with a couple of friends, but you know, I'm at that age now where um, I don't care. But. Uh, I remember talking to my mom about it and my mom saying, well, baby, if you want to do that, if you feel like you want to pursue this legally, mm-hmm. you know, you can, but think about what you're going to go through. Think about the town. Think how, at the time, Carlsbad was still a small town. We were right. new. She said, you could do it that way or you can use this as motivation uh, in your life. Um, and make them regret it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a plan. I didn't know how. But it, it did make me double down and sort of manifest that somehow, some way, I was going to get a job in the industry. And I think that played a huge factor in the, whatever that moment was when with Chad um, at, at the Potato Shack that day. How long after that did you go to work for... Transworld, maybe a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Incidentally, Chad ended up starting mixing watches. Yes, I mean, that Chad. Yeah. Yes. And um, he's killing it. Killing and I, it. I, I've been. I was one of the first people on the Nixon team, and I have been ever since the beginning. Of yeah, I love those guys. So him and Mike Marciano, and yeah, but it was a, it was a it was is a trippy one. So when I ran into that again at MTV. I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Like I was never a person who went looking for race shit. Right. You know, I'm. I'm. I come from a racially charged background. You know, my father was the product of apartheid, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 fought against it and railed against it. But at the same time, my parents raised me not to see color. Mm-hmm. You know, to celebrate people's cultures and to see the color of who they were. Exactly in the character and what their cultures meant and to celebrate that so we grew up listening to every kind of music and every kind of food and my friends were every kind of color and the kids I played with 
growing up in New York, especially, it was every kind of race. Right. So moving to a place that was mostly white and suddenly having people be afraid or not know how to deal with you being different wasn't something that uh, I have ever I didn't understand. And I think sometimes it's hard, very hard for for white people in America to comprehend that they're that that's something that they give off. Right. Or that it is a thing. Or to even comprehend what it's like to be someone who doesn't look like everyone else in the room. Right. I, I personally, I can't. You know? I can't comprehend being somebody that's... I, you know, I'm used to being like this, right? Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I, I wouldn't know how to put myself in your shoes. And it, it, I didn't... You don't... I tell people all the time, like, no black person in America or of any other race minority wakes up in the morning going like, I really hope I deal with some racist shit today. <laughs> I'm really, I hope today is the day that I get to deal with some like, some real race shit, you know? Because it's, it's a, when you do deal with it, especially when it's like obvious and blatant, it's fucking painful. Hell yeah. And it's painful for me to if, sit here and listen. It's awkward, and you're trying to figure out. You don't want to. You you don't. You don't want to make it a big deal. No, you know. And uh, I'm very very lucky that I was raised the way I was to sort of use it as fuel. And it was the same thing with that MTV mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck them, right? Like, and I I sat and I watched when that that first year of uh, the sports and music festival, and I had a good laugh. Yeah. I was happy that it did. They call you back. They call me back the next year. Yeah, blew it out. Call me the next year, and uh, yeah, blew it out. Nice. I crushed it. You know, it was like, all right, um, I'm, I'm going to kill this. Yeah, and it's it's you know I feel lucky in the in the way all that went down, and you know that led to other jobs with mm-hmm. Fox Sports and and hosting some random shows at the time. I, my friends and I, you know, if you circle fast forward to like 98, my friends and I just started a, a clothing company called Alphanumeric, mm-hmm. which was like a um, skate, surf, snow, but also like larger lifestyle brand. We were all minorities for the most part, mm-hmm. black, um, Puerto Rican, uh, Filipino, but all people who really loved action sports. We're, like, we're going to start a brand that'd be like, we wanted to be like a Volcom meets North Face. Right. But with an urban twist. Right. And we took off. Like things we was it was a it was an instant hit. And so I was doing the T V stuff on the side, um, and doing that brand. And ironically, the funniest thing about that is that unbeknownst to Surfride, uh-huh. the shop, they ended up carrying buying all of our shit and carrying no it way. in the store. So the first time that I went to go out on a road trip with our reps you're like, we got to go here. I, I didn't even think about it until I was just out with the rep, and the rep was like, oh, we're going to go to surf ride. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been there in a while. I walk in, and I'd never confronted the owners to this day. Right. You know, whenever I saw them, I would just be like, hey, what's up? And so they walked up um, as they usually, oh, hey, Sal, how are you? What's going on with your life? And I was like, oh, you know, just here on a rep visit. Like, oh, really? Are you repping a brand? I'm like, no, I own this brand. 
this this brand right here I started it right and this is my and you should have seen you should have <laughs> seen face, just like white like couldn't even speak like someone punched him in the throat and I remember him just being like uh, 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 oh, oh okay well nice to see you and that was that was better than any lawsuit check I would have ever gotten that's so cool you know that's just karma man yeah but anyway I ended up getting the X Games in 99 off of the MTV stuff and how long did that go for? 13 years. Wow. 13 years. I started off as a, as a uh, sideline reporter, mm-hmm. um, interviewing snowboarders at Crested Butte, Colorado. I was, I was at, on an alphanumeric trip um, to the van trip around snowboarding with my snowboarding team. Mm-hmm. I was the athlete manager, marketing guy for our brand. So I had signed a bunch of athletes in different disciplines. and you know, I didn't know you back then. Yeah. But... I tell you what, whenever the X Games would come on, it was you. I would be so excited. Oh, yes, thanks, I was man. commenting and just well, going off. And you, dude, you just held us captivated. Well, it was funny. ESPN had, had, they had been doing the X Games for a few years, and they realized, I think, the one thing that they were missing was um, authentic voices, uh-huh. people who represented the culture. You definitely have they a one-of-a-kind one voice. Well, not, not necessarily the tone of my voice, but... They wanted authenticity, people mm-hmm. who lived the culture, right? To to speak on it, and it's hard. I felt bad for those guys who were like baseball and football guys trying to explain what's going. on. You can't if you don't live right. it. It it's would like, be like it's me like watching to- some of these chicks during the NFL. We're gonna see him here on Sunday, and they're a chick, and they're commenting about how so and so, you know, Carson Palmer has a broken finger and caught this pass through that pass and. They have no idea. They've never played football. I see. When it comes to sideline reporters uh, and women, I there there are some. I don't. I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem with it if if you can tell that the reporter isn't knowledgeable, right? Uh, and is there only for their looks, like Pam Oliver uh-huh. from from Fox? Is she the one that got hit in the face with the ball? No, I don't. I don't think so. Well, she she's she's been on Fox for a long time. She's a badass. She knows the game frontwards and backwards, and I, I, I could A lot of women are I probably going to be pissed off at, her, yeah, at me right now, sideline reporters. I'm sorry, game. ladies. I, but I do, listen, I do think that there, there, there are some networks that, I've seen it in, in some networks that go for like, all just right, have a hot chick. We're going to just get a really, really hot girl, and we're going to get them to dress. And that's what happened with you in your first year with MTV. That first day in MTV, in MTV yeah. I definitely went through it. But I wouldn't blame women for no, that. No, no, no. I think that was just a classic example of sometimes... And I feel... Listen, the idea of a network uh, or in any casting situation, someone choosing a woman based on her being attractive right. and not choosing her based on the fact her that she skills. has something to give, right. that sucks for women. Yeah. That sucks for the women who... Who have worked hard to earn a place on the sideline or Absolutely. in the studio, Absolutely. and they sit there and go, "I can't believe that they hired this girl over me." Right. That exists across the board. Um, but I was lucky with ESPN that they just wanted they wanted authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I was in this bar at this contest, and then the guy walks up to me in the bar after the, I think it was like a halfback contest, uh, and he in, in Colorado, Vance Triple Crown of snowboarding, and he says, "Excuse me, are you Sam Asakela?" I said. Yeah, he says, I'm Phil Orleans. I'm the uh, 
executive producer of snowboarding mm. for the X Games. I'm looking for you. I was a few drinks deep. Right. I turned around, looked at him, I was like, whatever. I actually stood up and I'm like, who the fuck put this guy up to this? Because that's something that your friends would do. Sure. Um, it was like, nice one. And I like, toasted the bar and people look at me like I was crazy. And I turned around and he's got a business, business card. card embossed in like red, like woven lettering, ESPN. Wow. And I was like, oh shit. That's the real deal. The real deal. We sat and talked. Told me that he was trying to to organize this 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 movement to bring in credible voices and would mm-hmm. I want to do it and I told him no I told him I thought the X Games sucked thought they were cheesy I told him that I thought they exploited action sports without um, showcasing the culture mm-hmm. and that I really didn't think I'd be into it and I went and sat with him for three hours and told him everything I thought was wrong with it wow and never expected to get a call back and when I flew back to San Diego and I told my friends I was bragging I was like yeah this guy from ESPN you know, told him, told him what's up. Right. Told him how much the X Games suck. <laughs> yeah. And I, my, my my buddy Aliasha was like, "You did you what? Fucking crazy! Right? That's lit. like he sunned me. He put me in my place. He's like, who the fuck do you think you are? You think this? So you think this opportunity comes to anybody? You have the opportunity to actually speak for the culture, right? Like." You're the one that's going to be able to bring what's missing to the table. He said, and I, but I didn't think of myself that way. Right. I just thought I'm a guy, and I'm I, I love this thing, but I, I wasn't thinking big picture. Mm-hmm. And the guy called me back, called me a few later, a few days later, and put me in touch with someone else at ESPN, and they made me an offer. And ten ten days later, I was in Crested Butte. Wow. Interviewing my friends at the bottom of the half pipe, wow. and it was the first time that they got interviews where the, the riders were excited yeah. and they knew me so they obviously were going to open up they were getting insight and by the time that X Games was, was over they were like what else do you know I was like I know skateboarding by like the back of my hand it's like cool can you be in Virginia in two weeks to this event we'll send you a ticket and I worked, worked that first year without a contract um, just sort of as they called me I did that next summer X Games as a play by play guy for skateboarding and then the next year they offered me a deal where they made me the play-by-play guy mm-hmm. for skateboarding and snowboarding um, and occasionally, and then I was doing interviews for other sports and then two years later they made me the host of the whole X Games wow. and yeah, I got basically a paid television education from ESPN like I was a cocky kid who knew a lot about action sports but didn't know anything about being a professional. Mm-hmm. Didn't even though I was like part of a brand that I'd started with my friends. I didn't really know a lot about mm-hmm. responsibility, um, and I had to learn a lot of things the hard way. They should have fired me thousand times. Thousand times. Yeah. Missing planes, getting too drunk at the at the party the night the night after a contest where I really to do something. It was definitely girls. Dude, I guarantee you, you have had probably dated some of the most beautiful women on the planet. It was a good run. I was a pretty good looking dude. I was a late. I was also in that world. I was a late. I was a late bloomer too. So it was. um, It was. I mean, it's weird when all of a sudden I've seen you with some gorgeous, gorgeous. I've I've also. I think you dated. I remember you dating a uh, 
professional snowboarder. Pro skier. Skier. Yeah. Yeah. That, I blew that one. Yeah. I was with her for six years. She was cool. She was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. but sometimes you have to, you got to fall on your face to learn, learn the bigger picture of life. And I think that when you get, no one prepares you for what fame is. Uh-huh. Uh, and you think that you're never going to become a victim of it. Right. Uh, and I think anyone that you've talked to that made it, if they're honest with you, will tell you that they had to get put in their place. Well, you, you know, I've known you for quite a while, and um, you've never came across to me as, you know, with fame going to your head. Thanks. You, you're down to earth. You're real. And I think that's what's made you so good and lovable you know because everywhere I go I'm like yeah I'm doing a podcast with Sal today or you know yesterday I'm saying that people are like oh my god Sal Sal are you kidding me I love Sal that's cool and right before you walked up earlier everybody was like super excited to see you they're like Sal's the man you know you you are what I you know we've got a lot of great athletes out there you know but when it comes to reality um we're watching tv you are, are the one that made action sports what it is now. What we see on TV everywhere. I think what I did was make it... I think people were able to connect with me. 100%. Because I made an effort to build a relationship with the audience. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I learned from my father, watching my father play on stage from a very young age. I mean, my earliest memories as a kid were in jazz clubs with my dad because my dad would have me on the weekends while other parents would like take their kid to the movies or for a burger I was in jazz clubs with grown ups at 2 in the morning watching my father win the crowd Wow! and And what kind of instruments does he play? my dad plays the flugelhorn Uh trumpet and he's a singer right and he's a world class musician yeah I mean he's the father of world beat music yeah and his name's Hugh his name's Hugh Hugh Masekela uh, he's a living legend. We've tried to get him to come on our Fiji <laughs> trip a few times. This he's year, always on tour. This year he said, listen to me, my boy. I'm coming to Fiji this year. <laughs> it's not going to happen again without me. You, you tell Kelly that I'm coming. So I think this year he's really going to make it happen. Okay. But he played 100 I shows. I heard that last year. I know. But this is from a guy who's 75 years old and still plays 100 shows a year. This year I think he's going to dial crazy. it back to like 50. Wow. But meantime, meanwhile, he's got a new talk show in South Africa. Um, he's launching all these projects. My dad lives like he's going to be here forever, and that's inspiring. You uh-huh. know, he, he's never taken a day off. But again, watching my dad perform, he never talked down to the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, he always made people feel like almost like they were on the stage with him. Right. You know, and that was something that resonated with me. And I think that when it came my turn to communicate with a larger group of people that's, that was my main goal was I didn't want them to feel like I was that because I was on television I was in some better place than them mm-hmm. I just happened to be the guy in a position to be to talk with them right and showing them your world of what's going on it worked. right now yeah it definitely worked um, in ways that I could have never imagined I mean we're sitting here talking and I'm 18 years into doing stuff on television and having more fun than ever. No, but I'm, I did, I'm so glad because, you know, not only are we good friends, but, dude, I'm a huge fan of you. 
I'm a huge fan of your work. I'm so excited. Every time I hear you get on TV or I say, on, you know. I'm sorry. Some of these heats, I fast forward through them. <laughs> and I don't want to hear what some of these commentators have to say. But as soon as you got on, I was just like, oh, there's man. my boy. And of course, I'm waiting for you to drop my name, too. Well, it sounds like uh, oh, housekeeping, housekeeping here. Hold on. Let me get it. Okay. Right back. Yeah. It's, it's that little Asian lady. Hi. Hello, housekeeping. Can you, you like rub and talk? I'm gonna be right at the house. Okay, cool. <laughs> like maybe like maybe one hour be. Okay, do you guys know Clint? You gonna see him? No. Yeah, this is uh this yes. is a good one. Oh did he? Yeah. Sal, he's uh um, probably not. I know he's such a good guy, you guys. Um <laughs> I hope this is really uh giving you a good insight. On my good friend Sal, and sorry about that. I was the, housekeeping. I was waiting for her to go housekeeping, rub and tug. You like rub and tug? What was that? That uh, Chris Farley movie? Oh, that's a Chris Farley movie. That's right. <laughs> I forget which one that was. Black Sheep, or maybe it was Black Sheep. Yeah, him and David Spade. God, they were a good two. That together. was hilarious. They were amazing. You know, but and there's a classic example of how hard fame can be mm-hmm. when you, you mentioned someone like Chris Farley you know like if you're not if you're not built to, to deal with it I couldn't imagine what it was like at that level but you know you can you can flame out I never I never walked around like I was better than anyone mm-hmm. I never I never got into that mindset but I did I think I I did especially in my relationship when I look back on it Everything revolved around me, mm-hmm. around my schedule, around all the things that I had going on. And I think for a little while there, I expected everyone to understand it and just deal with it. Right. And I didn't realize that, oh shit, like my life is like Mars compared to most of my friends. And I can't just expect everyone to deal, it, deal with it. Like I have to think about how what I do affects other people. Um, and that was, I think that's, that's been the, 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 the real long-term lesson that I, that I had to learn, um, in especially going through a, a, a long relationship that ended with, you know, broken heart and kind of the one that got away. Right. But um, I'm grateful for it, you know. I'm really grateful for it. And I think that... Made you stronger. Made, made me stronger. Made me definitely more compassionate and really, 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 really grateful to the people who have been by my side since the very beginning like you know me I still have all the same friends a lot of them could have told me to fuck off yeah sometimes we do (laughs) yeah sometimes (laughs) they do but that's what being friends are yeah that's what that's what that's what friends are I mean shit if you weren't a patient person we would have taken no trips together in the last (laughs) oh my god (laughs) you know what it's like to try um, you were like the one the hardest one I had to round up this year yeah but you always know I'm going to show up always Wow, and I you and Vava, I you really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, we love you, buddy. Thanks, man. Um, but you know the trip that we talk about—it's uh, we do this annual trip every year to Tavaroa, Fiji, and uh, it's with our good friend Kelly Slater, and it's it's just something that we get all our friends together, and we just have a good time. And every year we get a couple of new friends that join in. I, this year we had like Rachel Hunter. Yeah jump in with us her and her sister Jackie and (laughs) those guys are a blast that was amazing and you know we score every year 
We do. The waves are always popping. Uh, we score with the surf, and it's always in quote unquote the off season. Yeah. But it pumps. And how about the year before last? Best fucking restaurants, restaurants I've ever. ever surfed in my life. Ever. Um, but I think the other part of it too is being able to have all these friends that you're connected to. Like you can't break the bond of real friendship. You don't get to see them all the time. No. But uh, everyone getting together and being on that island for eight or nine days, you just leave so. You know, re you just you just leave so grateful and and reinvested to like to go out and kill whatever it is that you love yeah. in life because you you've got these great incredible people yeah. um, that inspire you. Yeah. You know, it's an it's an inspiring trip to sit there and just and like, it's good because we're around each other all day long. Yeah, we eat every meal together. We have theme parties. We have karaoke nights. I think you owe what Tavaru a new karaoke do, machine this year. Karaoke machine. Yeah, that was me but, and yeah. I did a duet. Yeah, we did Ebony and Ivory. Ebony and I, we killed it. I got a video for that. We, we should throw it on this website. People will die. Oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, I think when you have a trip like that. Where everyone has, is forced to be together, not on their phones, right. just like hanging for a week. You have spending more time together on a trip like that than you would just with friends regularly over the course of a year. You know? Yeah, and you're able. It's with people that you always are just going to pick up um, where you leave off with, and those are the best friends in life. Because yeah. people who have your back. Because no we only get to see each other a few times a year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's awesome, and we definitely do just pick right up where we left off. Every yeah. single time. Can it be October already? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it seems like every time I see you, you get healthier and healthier and more ripped. And how old are you now, Sal? I'm 44. 44. Dude, you're in probably the best shape of your life right now. I am. Um, what are you doing? I know you're going to one of our sponsors, which is one of our good friends, yeah, uh, Logan Galbraith. And he's kind of my partner in this whole thing. So funny how this thing came it's together. So like funny. we were all sitting there talking about you and your voice. I didn't know that you had a background in radio ever, but it made perfect sense because I'd always be like, "God, what the this dude? Yeah, has got how's the that voice? Golden, goldenest pipes in the history." And we said, "Like, and why so don't you, you? Why don't you have a, no? My shit, no, your shit, my fucking this is, shit. I have a discount tire voice compared to yours, <laughs> but." When we said, like, you really need to do a, bi- a podcast, I didn't think you were going to do it. Right. But you did it. There was so much... Um, everybody was just so excited about it. Yeah, well, we and all started ex- visualizing it and be like, oh, this, this is the biggest no-brainer in the history of this trip. Right, right. And now, look, we're, f- we're here we are fucking doing it. We've already got some good ones down. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I'm stoked to have you here. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty rad. This is really, really... Brad. But yeah, Logan, I, I so I started training, I started taking control of my health probably five years ago. Um, let's, I, t- let's, did you start with Logan? Yeah, Logan. At the Deuce Gym? No, I, yeah. another another gym in LA called CFLA, CrossFit Los Angeles. I'd never heard of CrossFit. Well, don't forget about Deuce Gym, just so everybody yeah. knows. Venice Beach. Venice Beach, that's where Deuce is. Tell, tell us a little bit about it. We do CrossFit, like we're CrossFit, strongest CrossFit, man. Cro- CrossFit Shit. based. I see you guys pulling tires that are like. Are yeah, you strong, kidding me? We do strongman stuff. Yeah, like stuff that you'd see in the strongman competition. We do. It's basically functional fitness, is what we like to right. call it. 
Um, there is there are elements of CrossFit. There's element of elements of like the core factors of gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a strength training programs, strength and conditioning, um, and strongman stuff. We do mobility stuff. We have a class strictly for mobility, so that you could not just be fit, but be able to move. Right um, now, any any single person can come in and join us. Yeah, just coming off the street. It's just yeah, and, and feel comfortable. Yeah, you really can yeah, I mean, because you, you modify everything according to what someone's ability there's a lot of these gyms man you walk in there especially Venice Beach you know it's no muscle beach man yeah <laughs> no this is yeah. I, but I an old it, lady can walk in there right I train with women in their 60s yeah. who, who, who crush it Same and I've watched people like you know, really change their lives and I think the way Logan's sort of vision for it is the idea of training for life you know what I mean? Like training to live. Um, some people say to me all the time, "Why do you, why do you do all that stuff for?" And I say, "Because I don't have my, you know, natural youth abilities anymore. But I still want to do all this stuff that I love doing. Right. So I got. That means I got to get in the gym and train. And in turn, oh, you know, when you go to the doctor and you get your blood work and all that stuff done, and you're like, you think that you're healthy." Your doctor all of a sudden is like, yeah, actually, no, you're not that healthy and you need to lose some weight if you want to not be seeing me and getting pills soon. That was like, that was the, that was the first thing that made me go, oh, okay. And CrossFit was the first, I had read an article about it and I thought it was interesting. I thought it was weird and I went on YouTube and I looked at and saw women doing things that I couldn't do and and I, I said, I'm going to try this. And then I, I, I went from YouTube to Google, and I found this place called CFLA. Logan was a coach there. We mm-hmm. became really good friends. I went to the gym thinking, I'm, I'm just here for the fitness. I'm not going to be friends with these people. Right. And ended up getting sucked up into it. Um, and Logan... Into and the CrossFit Lo- cult. Into the cult. <laughs> so many people were like, I can't believe you're doing that it's shit. Cult, man. And even now, I'll get people say that to me like on social media mm-hmm. and then they'll meet me in real life and they're like oh you're actually fit and I saw you surfing and you were you killing it you're surfing good and dude you surf really good thanks really good so I surf better now since I started training yeah than I did you're more flexible ten, you're stronger ten years ago yeah which is that's not supposed to happen but it, it makes you excited and listen when you have a friend like Kelly Who's had the mindset for 20 years now of like what you put in your body mm-hmm. and what you do. He had a, such a long play about what he wanted, which m- makes you understand what kind of a freak of a human he is that we didn't have as kids. Mm-hmm. I've been friends with him for, I think we met when it was maybe 21. Mm-hmm. And Trans world, sir. You all try yeah, that. No, the first time no, I met him at Lowers with Taylor Knox because I went yeah. to high school with Taylor. Yeah. And that was the first time I ever met him. But... Everyone made fun of him. And now look. Yeah. They made fun of him for the way he ate and that, the way he ate and that he trained and you know that he was thinking about his body. Because you know, the surf culture, action sports culture is go hard in the water and go just as hard on land mm-hmm. at you know, at night. And I was definitely the leader of the charge. Right. I went hard as could be, you know out, you know, on the mountains or in, in the ocean. And then yeah, I like to have fun and party. Yeah. But it's not a sustainable lifestyle. 
Um, and I've definitely found that out. And I want to, I, I guess I started to look at the bigger picture of, well, do I want to be that guy who used to do this shit? Mm-hmm. Or can I be, I look at Jerry, you know? I was I was going snowboarding um, last Christmas. Yeah. I was going, I was actually on a, on a trip up to Canada. And I was waiting for the helicopter to pick us up to take us up to Ballface Lodge. By the way, the taboo of snowboarding, go if you get a chance. Mm. And the helicopter comes down, and who walks out? Jerry fucking Lopez. <laughs> Jerry fucking Lopez, in his full gear, with the smile of a 15-year-old Grom, and he comes up to me, and he goes, Sal, it's so good up there. We just got done ripping all day. You're going to have the best time ever. And you could just see the youth in this 60-something-year-old's eyes. Wow. And, you know, those are the people who... That guy's a fucking yogi now. Oh, yeah. With a cult following. Wow. He's reinvented himself how many times? You know, snowboarding is his passion, and he's more passionate about it... Just as passionate about snowboarding now as he was surfing 25 years Giant ago. Giant pipeline. First, one of the first guys out there. And he's in his 60s. Wow. Why can't I have that life? Why can't you have that life? Yeah. It's a choice. hmm And I think a lot of us... It's very easy to make excuses for why we can't eat well or why we don't want to go to the gym. I make excuses every single day. I used to too. Chicken fried steak, biscuits and gravy. Are you kidding me? They taste so good. They taste amazing. Amazing. But what I've learned in the last few years is that eating good doesn't have to be like a a feel like you're in prison. Mm -hmm. Like I've learned to appreciate food in a different way. Listen, I have my days where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have a pizza. Right. I'm going to have a, a burger with a bun. You know, I'm going I'm to maybe drink a few beers more, but that's not my lifestyle anymore. Right. And my lifestyle, for the most part, consists of eating in a way, Logan puts it really wet, puts it the best. He's, he's, he wrote this blog um, maybe six months ago for the, for the Deuce Gym blog. He said, and he made this, this sentence that re- resonated with me. He was like, stop eating like an asshole and you can enjoy the rest of your life and no one had ever put it so bluntly before (laughs) yeah you know just because sometimes I think our culture too we've made food such a convenience just all this shit that tastes really really good at your fingertips all the time and it's advertised to you on TV on every corner so we're just sort of conditioned to be like well this is food most people are also uneducated sure on what's in the food mm-hmm. you know that that sugar is such a fucking crazy sugar is the killer it's a killer the killer and would you say that you know in the last few years because um, I've seen you turn yourself around in the last few years would you say that it's your diet changing the way that you start to eat or or the working out or the combination of both it's a combination of both but without the diet, the fitness doesn't it doesn't work. Right. I think that I'm 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 fit and I'm physically able, but as far as being able to be at a healthy weight, that comes from the diet. But again, it's not being on a diet. Right. It's just changing the way you eat, mm-hmm. making it pleasurable, and making it a lifestyle. That's because then it's not a burden. This right. is like, I like this food. Mm-hmm. I like that. Like, you see in my room right here, there's an avocado right there with some... 
Yeah, see, I hate avocado. An avocado with three some sea avocado salt. trees, and I'll change used, my diet, but I'm not going to eat avocado. I used to hate avocado, <laughs> but then I discovered Himalayan pink salt, mm-hmm. pink Himalayan sea salt. Yeah, and I sprinkled some of that in there, and a little bit of um, dressing, like like a, like a vinaigrette in the center. You scoop that up, and oh my god, this yeah. tastes like heaven. Yeah, and most importantly, I feel fueled afterwards. You know, same thing with like having some almond butter or some cashew butter around. I take scoops of that. I just learned how to snack and enjoy foods in a different now, are way. You, are you eating more a day, but smaller portions? I I don't really sort of eat with a mindset of meals anymore. Uh-huh. Like I enjoy a meal, but it doesn't have to be meals. So I snack a lot. Right. I just don't eat Doritos. One, one of our good friends, um, Shane Doring. Right. He's one of the most fittest guys on the planet. He's this another inspiration for me. Oh my gosh, he's just ripped. He's doing the CrossFit, and and he's always every day. You know, he's like, "Dose, hey, if you're not going to get the gym, you know, you're always complaining. Hey, you're like ten pounds overweight or whatever." He's like, "Change your diet." Listen, he's like, "Let's just change your diet." And he goes, "Eat smaller portions, just like the size of your fist." Yeah, and eat like six times a day. It's the truth. And knock out the sugar that's the that's, that's where the, the that's where the extra stuff comes from the fitness is just like a bonus if you want to like enjoy what that means uh-huh. but food is the key and I think I think that the big food companies have really preyed upon uh, America and it's the reason why we have so much you know diabetes and disease that comes from from food mm-hmm. you know it, it's just just part of the deal like people don't enjoy soda as like a thing they do once in a while right a lot of these foods are cancer creating carcinogenic yeah. foods people people don't people don't go like oh like I'm gonna have a coke and you're like oh I'm gonna drink like six of them today mm-hmm. or I, I got a friend who starts every day with a big old giant 40 ounce big gulp of like coke right well I mean do the math like it's just like sugar straight into your system yeah and so but it's hard like you gotta be able to make people wanna be we also live in a culture where other parts of the world food isn't entertainment (laughs) yeah you know a lot of other parts of the world food is like necessity Mm -hmm. we made it so entertaining that that's like an activity. Like, what are you going to do? You want to go for a walk? Like, nah, let's go eat. Let's go eat. Let's go eat. And let's go eat all this rad shit that tastes amazing. Right. But makes you feel like shit afterwards. So, um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to get like on, on my soapbox, but it's worked for me. I enjoy my life a lot better. And I don't have it figured out. I'm constantly learning and tweaking. And that's fun, too. Is like finding out new shit that works for you and makes you feel good. Maybe I do end up dying of cancer or some other fucked up thing. I don't know. I'm not going to... I'm going to do everything I can for that not to happen. Right. And if it does happen, then, you know, whatever. Right. One of my friends in Kona, she's a bodybuilder. Um, Her name's Taylor Silva, and she started this new business and it's just blowing up it's called tailored meals mm. and she just start, opened up a big kitchen and it's all about 
the foods that you're supposed to eat, the portion sizes, um, you know, they're non-GMO, they're gluten-free, yeah. all that kind of stuff, and, you know, what you guys are eating. Um, I can't say I haven't started that yet, but it's I'm, okay. I'm going to. We're closing in on <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, and especially now that I'm, I'm sponsored by these yeah, guys. Yeah, now you, you got know, no choice. I you have, have to... no choice. But you know what's going to be amazing? Listen, you yes. want to, I'm going to put this shit for you in strictly financial terms. You go through the revolution uh-huh. of giving yourself like a, a window to see how this affects you mm-hmm. and then you show the world and your audience what it did forget about it dude okay well this you're just, is this you, you, you're gonna taylor she wants to start feeding me every single one of these meals a day she's like i want to feed you every single one of these what meals. are you doing Oh, I'm on Oahu right now with you. So well, it's hopefully on. when I get back, it's on. It's on. How about this? One thing that I notice when I when I when I need a little motivation is I just need to put myself out there to the world and have the my my community, my fans, hold me accountable. Yes. So I think you should just say right now to the fans that you're going to do this and you're okay. going to constantly update them. Fans, I'm going to do this. There we go. And then every episode, I'm going to let you know where I'm at. Yeah. Um, you're going to see the pictures on the website on the website and my weight yeah so you can see where it's at more important than that you're going to tell people how you feel yes and that at the end of the day I've stood on a scale twice in the last three years Mm -hmm. honestly I know how I feel right and that I know how I feel right now I've been traveling so much and you know you're, you're on the road you're eating shit yeah you know I you don't know how shitty. you do it I feel shitty dude Kelly is a, is another person who's motivated me in to really refine it because I being on the road used to be my excuse right but that guy packs food wherever he goes in the world now what do you usually eat I bring uh, I, I really love these epic bars uh huh um so I, I buy a shit ton of those I bring this um this, there's this company called Gora that make the best granola ever that's green and GMO free and sugar free but it tastes incredible I buy a few bags of that I'll bring like figs I'll bring goji berries I'll bring stuff that's fun that, that tastes good and that I can have as an ex, you know when I want a snack instead of and in a lot of countries that you're you're in a lot of times it's the worst food from here that they're selling there. Right. And they're your only options for snacks. What about like beef jerky and stuff like that? Yeah, I'll bring beef jerky. The Epic Bars are basically like like beef jerky, but like bars, the turkey, lamb, beef, mm-hmm. bison, they're great. So let's say you go into a restaurant. Okay, mm-hmm. all your friends. Kelly's like, hey, Sal, those are, come on, we're, we're going to... Lele's. Lele's, right over here. Turtle Bay. Mm-hmm. What are you going to order? You're going to look at that menu... And you're going to go, okay, what am I seeing I just was there the other night. Yeah. I got... They've got a killer salmon. Yeah. they got pastas, pokies. I'm not getting the pasta. Okay. I'm going to get a poke or... So uh, pasta's out. Pasta's out. Okay. (laughs) By the way, Dozer's face right now look like I just (laughs) killed a baby. Okay, what about That's rice? That's just for me personally. Sure. What about rice? I will eat rice uh, a couple a couple of days White, a week. White, brown? White rice. Quinoa? Uh, quinoa, yeah. Yeah. I'll eat quinoa. Um, but like the other night, I got 
the they have this incredible mahi steak mm-hmm. with like a mango chutney dressing. Mm. Mm. I got that with uh, some some vegetables. Right. It was awesome. Um, I started off with uh, some sashimi. And now, if you're eating sushi, are you eating? What would you rather go for, um, health wise? If you're looking at the health picture here, um, are you gonna go for like a sushi roll, or are you rather eat just like some sashimi? I, for most of the time, I rather just load up on the sashimi. Right, get um, rid of the rice. Yeah, I get hand rolls without rice. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the place, sometimes they'll get you without rice, but. I'm not that's not religious right. that's just my, my main deal every once in a while I'll see a dope roll and I'm like yeah I'm gonna crush that right. I just don't I don't eat like I'm trying to kill myself anymore. what about like prime rib yeah yeah. I'll get prime rib but I'm not I'll get a prime rib but I'm not gonna get like a big old plate of mashed potatoes with it right or the french fries those garlic mashed potatoes those garlic mashed potatoes I just saw you by the way I just killed another one of those children <laughs> thank god I'm too old I can't have any more um, children but Sweet potatoes, your body process is a lot better. Right. So I'll, I'll try to go to a place that, or, or see if they have sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other night, they, they brought out like cookies and ice cream. I had a scoop of ice cream and half a cookie. I didn't crush a whole bowl of, you know, sometimes when you stop and just enjoy something you ate, right. you realize that you don't have to eat all of it. Right. That's the other thing, it's just being sensible. But that's the hard part for people. It's like, Especially yeah, in most a lot people of the, eat till they're just stuffed. Yeah, don't eat like, like Thanksgiving. Don't eat. I misquoted uh, Logan earlier. It's not. It's, he said, "Don't eat like an asshole." He said, "Stop eating like you're trying to kill yourself." Right. That's what resonated with me. Yeah, yeah. Because then you stop and think about it. Like, oh, that's actually that's a real thing, and it makes you think sort of a little bit more about the choices you make in food. If you're not you're not going to die from not eating. All of it, right? You know, I'll every once in a while, yeah, I'm gonna crush a burger and fries yeah. and a shake. But most of the time, when I go to In and Out, I'm gonna get a burger that's lettuce wrapped. Um, in and Out, I haven't had one of those. Oh, in yeah, that's a California thing. Animal style, yeah, animal style. You know, without that processed flour shit, that's just like there's no nutritional value. Right. It's just taking up space. I'd rather eat more good shit. Yeah then bad shit and then be full luckily you know my lifestyle is I, I do I eat a lot of good stuff yeah you do um, I'm, a, I'm hunt, a hunter like, you're a hunter you're getting like great amazing proteins yes axis deer elk yeah you know sheep mm. pigs you're killing it killing it and I love it and fish you know living here in Hawaii you know it's it's constant. I'm I'm one of the best pokey makers I think on the planet. I make. I, I it. can I can definitely say that I, I would put my money on you in a pokey making contest. Yeah, you know. You eat. You already see. That's the other thing. You already have all the basic foundations right. to eat insane. You just supplement all that well, good just, shit. Just so you people in the audience out here, I'm not some big fat slob no. out here. Okay, I'm in pretty good shape. I'm a few pounds overweight. But I can definitely feel it. And I know I need to change myself up, especially as I'm getting older here. Listen, fuck the weight. It's what's going on in your system. Right. From what you're putting in. Right. And it's when you go and get your blood work done and your doctor's like, oh, or... Hey, your blood pressure's too high or your cholesterol's too high. That's like I said, I don't stand on the scale. Right. You just said you don't feel good. Yeah. That's that's what we're talking about. Right. Right. Exactly. Now, um, what about... Okay, so we've gone through dinner. Yeah. What about when you're going out to the bar with your friends? 
Okay, because presently beer, we know that beer bellies. I don't drink beer. I know. I drink when I do drink. I've been really trying to make cocktails. They usually drinking. have a lot of sodas with them. Tequila, yeah, soda water, lime. Okay, your body processes uh, the sugar better from the agave. Tequila, the agave, than from all the other liquors, and I tend to end up sipping it and right. not needing to pound. That's why we're always doing so much tequila shots in Fiji. Yeah. Yeah. It's tequila. So, presently, I'm not drinking. I haven't drank in five weeks. Right. And I'm not going to drink until I'm, I'm on this thing, doing this thing called the Whole Life Challenge. Uh-huh. Till, till March 16th. Uh-huh. That's, you know what's really shitty about that is how, that's the shittiest part, is how good I feel from not drinking. Right. It bums me out. Oh, yeah. I sleep like a baby... I'm, I'm getting up with crazy energy. And I'm like, damn, I wish it didn't, it didn't work so good. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, last night I went to bed, and for some reason, um, I was just doing a mahi mahi flip last night, just flipping violently in bed. I'd wake myself up, like, what am I doing? I don't know if my hair was getting in my face, and whatever. Yeah, the, I don't know what it is, but the 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 six weeks that I five weeks that I haven't drank I've been sleeping like a superhero yeah. um, it actually bumps me out yeah because I you know me I, I enjoy the drink yeah but again I, it makes me aware of my choices and I don't have to drink like I'm trying to win a contest every right time. well clearly everybody knows that once you start drinking um, but people who know me you're not from years much past aware of your listen I I've, I've won many a night at the bar oh yeah I'm seeing you. I've, <laughs> I've been there with it. This is all like a slow reform, but I was the worst of the worst for a long time. So change is possible. <laughs> well, let's change things up. Let's um, talk about a couple of the things that you're involved in right now. Um, you're talking, you know, you've got a big thing going on with Red Bull, Red Bull yeah. TV. Red Bull, Red Bull TV, Red Bull, Red Bull Media House has been really good to me. Uh-huh. I left ESPN in 2012. They gave me a great opportunity to come and be the face of uh, the Media House and a Red Bull Signature Series on NBC. We're in our third year. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, is, what, what are you guys doing on that? We're doing premier action sports events from around the world. It's kind of like, remember what ABC's Wide World of Sports were when right. we were kids? Right. This is like that for action sports. So it might be an enduro motocross event. The in, Baja in Ro- 500 in or whatever. But we, we, we do like this thing called Romaniacs in Romania. It's like huh. a four-day enduro event, which is insane. Wow. Um, and you get to go to all these places. Yeah, I guess. Dude, you're so lucky. Yeah, I'm not traveling as much. I'm doing a lot of stuff from the studio, but the first two years, I went every year. R- Romania, Turkey, uh, Dubai, I mean, Australia. Uh, it, it's been insane. Did you go to be slaying chicks in all those places? <laughs> <laughs> It's already changed it up. Um, how's it been? You know, sometimes you're in and out so quickly, and you're working so hard that oh really? And there's language barriers. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, there was a trip to totally unrelated to Brazil a couple of years ago. That was it was it was it was very fun. But um, yeah, we're making great television, Dozer. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sure turning me into the, the, the whore of the podcast no that's um, me I, I, I take the, the award for that one the Vulcan Pipe Pro yes that's part of that you'll see that on the, the Rebel City series. right now what other sports um just everything it's every, every, from motocross, motocross to, to snowboarding skateboarding to, to wakeboarding no wakeboarding but no. we do an event um in Detroit with uh 
Ryan Sheckler uh-huh. a really unique uh, street event Ryan Sheckler the skateboarder yeah the skateboarder um, we really try to do events that are unique and really that are built from the sort of that come from within the culture that's for uh-huh. like we do um, Rampage the, the freestyle mountain bike event out in Zion, Utah events that are legendary that maybe your average sports fan hasn't seen and we try and showcase it in a really cinematic way and make people feel like oh I didn't know this shit was going on but these guys are real athletes and look at where they get to play I'm into it right um, and on any, any, any given show uh, you're, you're going to get one of those sports now we're we've, we all know what the basic um, action sports are are you seeing any new ones that are coming up? You know, maybe some of these guys that are jumping with squirrel suits or... Wingsuit guys. Yeah. I think that wingsuiting is amazing. I, I really salute the passion that they have because, let's face it, you know... That's crazy. There's only two outcomes in wingsuit. Yeah. You land or you die. Yeah, you land or you die. And if you talk to wingsuiters, they're a very small community around mm-hmm. the world they all know nowadays more than one person. Yeah, I was listening uh, to Joe that? Rogan's podcast and this one guy, um, I can't remember his name, he's an ex-Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. Just a full badass motherfucker. And he just set the world record for doing the wingsuit. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, and was, the guy that set the record before him is now dead. Yeah. So. Listen, I mean, there were, I think, two or three of those guys that died last year, but... Who knows what what the future looks like as far as what's going to happen to make that sport safer? There's have you seen the video of the guys who fly the jetpacks but with wings? No, no. I've only I've only seen it once, but that'll blow your mind. I remember like when we were kids, like jetpack wings. Oh yeah, yeah. The guys standing there on. Yeah, they they there's these guys who who I think they jump out of a plane and engage and basically they're flying. Wow. 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 Yeah. There's so much shit coming down the pipe. Well, we see big wave surfing. Big wave surfing is... Is now huge. But the last five years, especially the last three years, uh, make no sense to me. And the last six weeks uh, being, you know, mid-December to the end of January... It's been crazy. 2015, 2016 are going to be looked back on as the most pivotal time... I think in the history of of big wave surfing, what's happened here, I don't even think we've fully digested with this El Nino. No, I think we're only in the very beginning stages of it. Yeah, it's um, right. This El Nino is like one of the strongest ever recorded, and I, I'm you know I'm talking to guys like Shane Dorian and Albie Layer and and all these big waves, Billy Camper, Billy Camper and Healy. These guys are done. They're beat. They're spent. Their bodies. You know, they're used to having like two weeks off between these big swells. They're used to surfing like three or four sessions a year. A year. This year they've surfed three or four sessions a week. A week. Yeah, it's just continuous, giant 60 to 100 foot waves. Yeah. You know, how's Aaron Gold's wave? Nuts. How about Tom Dawson's wipeout? Death wipeout. I saw that. That, and that made it all the way to CNN on Sunday. Yeah. They were showing it. Like, that's the other thing to see it sort of reverberate around the world and make people who don't even know anything about surfing uh, take notice. And it looks like they're having a Mavericks event here coming up, They're right? not going to be... So this there's a swell that's happening right now, this podcast being taped right before the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They There's a swell that's hitting there 
this weekend that it would be a perfect weekend for the event, but there's like a media blackout around the Northern California area gotcha. for the Super Bowl only, uh, and so they're not going to be able to basically get the people necessary to broadcast it because they're all working on different things for right, the Super Bowl. Right. So they got to take a pass. Yeah, it's been crazy. Were you at the Jaws event? No. But like like anyone else, I was watching on my laptop. Uh, Billy Kemper won that thing. Thought that I was on another planet. Billy oh. Kemper's performance, insane. Shane Dorian's wave before the contest was a joke. How do you airdrop into a seventy sideways seventy footer sideways? And that was ridiculous. We joked on the last day of our trip um, to Tavaru. I said to Shane, "Is like you should try to like." You know, pull in like it's a two foot barrel on one of those things. Like, I like when you do that early takeoff thing and just pulling it out the back. Like, he was doing that Mavericks his first time he ever saw And that was the first wave that he got, was that. And I said, I was only joking, and you didn't didn't have to do that. Yeah, it is absolutely ridiculous. He took some gnarly wipeouts. I saw him do full headers in the semifinals. Uh, and he said, once he got to the finals, he goes, My body was done. He goes, One thing about big wave surfing is. You know, it's so gnarly on your body. These beatings that these guys are taking, 100-foot walls of white water, holding them down. He said he was under for a couple of waves. Yeah. Him and Ian Walsh, just... Two waivers. Someone told me they... crap beat out of him. He goes, I didn't even want to catch a wave in the finals. I was talking to Jamie O'Brien the other day, and he said he saw someone take a a three-wave hold down last year. I think it's going to be very interesting long term in the next few years to see what kind of effect um, this level of abuse right. is going to have on these guys I wonder if perhaps not even perhaps I'm, I'm hearing from guys that they're getting and they have experienced uh, some concussions right? Um, and I think that's something as a community we're going to have to pay close attention to in the midst of how excited we are with the progress I mean these guys have been so good about Safety and water safety. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, the next thing is just sort of seeing what the long term uh, is going to be for these guys because these guys are getting their asses kicked. Well, you know, it seems like everybody now is becoming a big wave surfer, and, and not me, not me. But <laughs> you know, it's Shane. Shane had that horrific event at Mavericks. Right. Um, he almost died. Right. Scared the shit out of him. He got on the plane. He came home, and he's like, "Dose, that was." one of the gnarliest things that's ever happened to me and the first thing he started doing is trying to invent something that would help save his life he had a two-wave hold down that was so bad yeah and you know i was helping giving him some ideas you know and and he just he just took it from there he created that vest that now everybody out there in the water is wearing how amazing is that it's crazy no a company didn't develop it a guy who was like how do we do this? And how do I do this for everybody? Yeah. And he's like, I want to catch these giant waves and come home to my, to my wife and, and kids. Yeah. And he goes, and I want my friends to be able to do the same thing. I want one. Yeah, I want one for like four foot. You know? <laughs> I, want one, I want one for, for, for two foot. No, I, I, I look forward to seeing what they're going to be like as they continue to become more condensed. Because on really big days, or my version of really big days, to feel a little bit more confidence to go paddle out, you know, when it's 10, 12 foot someplace, oh, yeah. I would. But it's also given these guys the confidence for dropping in on a 100 foot wave. 
That's not what I needed for. Okay, but I'm talking about these big wave guys. <laughs> yeah, it's well, given them a confidence, and and you know, it's it's could it be, you know, worse off for them. I don't know because it's, now everybody's going. Oh, okay. Well, now all I got to do is put on this vest. It's so and not I can all go you out there. And if you if you talk to these guys, the level of training that they're doing in the breathing camps, you know, with the fitness. With the the mental, oh yeah, you could fucking put on five vests. Yeah, if you don't have the mental or the balls, it's not. It's it's, it's a wrap. The mind has to be able to meet the physical, and that's what makes these guys, uh, I think, some of the most unique and incredible athletes. I was surfing right Rocky Point this morning with Bob Hurley, and you know it's four to five feet, right? But it's just perfect out there. And, and where I live on the Big Island, you know, the waves, you know where they're going to break. You know how the ocean's working. It's it's more of an Indo-style ocean. Mm. Where here, it's so much more water moving. Yeah, even when it's five feet, yeah. you're going to get lickings. You're going to get lickings, man. There was, all of a sudden, those things were just standing up and just... And I go to go drop in. I'm like, holy crap, man. Yeah, and then now... now I'm not on the Big Island anymore. Now stick 70 feet on that. Right. No thanks. Incredible. No, yeah. I don't even. Yeah, yeah. No thanks. Another, another level. I'll sit in the channel and I'll watch that stuff. Yeah. Well, let's go back to you. Um, you know, you've got the Red Bull Action Sports we talked about, but you've also got something else. Tell me about Vice. So Vice uh, is a new news organization um, that really started off being a counterculture movement uh, in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so showcasing. The the stories that you weren't going to hear uh, in the safe magazines, yeah. uh, you know, in surfing and skateboarding, I think in snowboarding, in art, in music, they became like, here's what's really going on, and we're not bound by uh, the constraints of you know people telling us that we can't say or can't talk about this, and so they they right. became a great place, I think, for people like myself to to turn to to learn what was going on in the world and different scenes around the world. And they developed from a magazine into um, online content. Um, and then it went from just sort of counterculture stuff to actual news, mm-hmm. vice news. And um, it exploded because I think the world has become so partisan in, in the way people look at news. Like you have to get it from the left, you have to get it from, from, from the right. It's all opinion, mm-hmm. you know. It's all opinion based. But how about just like the story, the raw that, facts, and letting the audience decide, right? Um, and I think that's why they've had so much success with this with this Vice show on HBO. Mm-hmm. It's basically a documentary style news show that's you know won Golden Globes and Emmys. And so they, Shane Shane Smith, who started Vice, I met him at a, at a conference a few years ago a couple of years ago and he's talking about sort of the, the long term plans for Vice and it, they're launching a channel uh-huh. it used to be the history channel the H2 channel uh, it was going to become this, this channel called Viceland he invited me to come do some stuff for the HBO show and then offered me he said hey do you want to executive produce a show with me called Vice World of Sports I said sure so maybe executive producer and host and I've been shooting that around the world um, cool yeah Doing a, I did a boxing story in Ghana last year. I was in Cuba doing a story on baseball. Went to Kenya a few weeks, right, up, right after our trip to Tavaria. Went to Kenya to, to uh, do a story about long distance running there. Mm. Um, I was on a native reservation 
I heard the. I was listening to something a couple of weeks ago and talking about the Canyon Runners. Yeah, and um, why they always win. And it was the way that they run. They have a certain style how they run. Being there for almost two weeks and being embedded with them, I learned a few things. Part of it is the style. Um, they don't let their feet off the ground. They, well, they they, they run. They're, they're real four foot runner, four right. foot runners, and they they run with a forward lean at the waist. Uh-huh. So that they're they're not really running so much as falling fast because right. that's all running is 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 falling forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also, Eaton, in the north of Kenya, is at eight thousand feet mm-hmm. where they live. Um, so they're high altitude, right? High altitude, but it also has sort of a median climate. Right. So that you could train for running at 8,000 feet in a way that you normally wouldn't be able to do. Mm. Um, the, the area there is mostly farming, median income, $3 a day. Um, and so running, the opportunities that come from running, uh, should you be able to make it, you know, these guys, they can get a $10,000 an upwards appearance fee just to go and be a pace setter at a race. Wow. Um, so if you live in a place with a median income of $3 a day, that's some like life-changing, groundbreaking shit for you right. and your family and generations. Um, that's buying a farm for your family. Yeah, it's, it's all of that. There's also sort of a, the, the Kenyan mentality as, uh, amongst, especially the Kenyans amongst other places in Africa. You know how people here like you know I'm trying to be more present you know really been working on trying to be present and stay focused on being present that's just like that's just how they live right they're very much like what's happening now is the only thing that's happening and they're not thinking about anything else or what they need to worry about other than now and that gives them an advantage in running um, it allows them to process and deal with pain in talking to the runners in ways that other people might not be able to because they just like well this is what I have to do right now and this is part of it and they're able to take the pain process it and stay present are you a runner? I am a runner I ran the New York Marathon in 2009 that was actually the thing that that really spurred me to really think about my fitness because I thought I was fit I thought I was relatively fit I was only like 15-20 pounds overweight Um, but I ran the New York Marathon and I wanted to die I literally cried into the finish line, um, and afterwards I couldn't walk for a week. Yeah, and I was and I was humiliated. It really humiliated me, and that was one of the things that made me. Uh, I was like, "Wow, this is this is not good." Twenty six point two miles. You talk to any of those 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 world class runners, it sucks. Yeah, you're like, oh, I met guys who you know, I met a couple guys who've run two o five, two two o four. It sucks. They're in pain, but they learn how to process and, and deal with it, and have the all these little things uh, to that give them, I think, a collective advantage, including the running style. But people talk more about, oh, you know, they're genetically this, or they have a running style. They work hard, and they 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 work hard with a purpose, you know, in a way that gives them an even extra edge. I think. Have you ever thought about doing like a triathlon? Fuck no. Yeah. I live in Kona. I mean, it is the capital of the yeah. Ironman. I just... My I thing watch with, these guys. They die. They're yeah, dying. My, my thing with, with triath- uh, triathlons, I respect triathletes, but 
what they have to do to sort of deplete their body mm-hmm. mass uh, to do it just doesn't look fun to me. And that other part of like, I don't want to, I don't want to go for a swim and then a hundred and ten mile bike and then I want to go run yeah, a marathon. marathon afterwards. I'd go do a strip, sprint triathlon. <laughs> That'd be fun. But the last thing I want to do after I can't feel my taint. <laughs> After sitting on a bike for a, what a hundred miles, I've never felt my taint. Dude. Go run a marathon. So no, it's just that's 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 too much commitment for me. Okay, well you've got so much other things going on here. You um, UX Entertainment. Yes, yeah, production. Tell me about that production company that my partner Jason Berg and I started uh, ten years ago. We just we wanted it started off with an idea of trying wanting to tell more stories in action sports mm-hmm. as opposed to just like, you know, we call it um, trick porn. Right. Um, so we we did some documentaries, um, and it was a lot of fun to sort of learn how to do documentaries. But now we're doing um, all all sorts of stuff. Uh, we we're doing we just did a documentary actually on Juliet Lewis. That's not action sports based on her music. Right. Lewis, she's the a full on rock star. Yeah, she's a quiet rock star. She's had this band called Juliet and the Licks um, for the last like 15 years. And she did it all self financed. At a certain point, she took off six years from acting at the peak of her career just to focus on making music wow. uh, with the Licks. And it's, it's an interesting documentary because sometimes, I think sometimes people think when actors or athletes do something that outside of what their fans love them for that it's just ego driven right but it was always something that you you learn in documentary that she had her whole life and she had a choice between the two and acting just sort of went its way but she never lost her passion for music right and she had to see um acting is her job yeah and she's passionate about acting yeah. but music is it's it's, it's her, her. Life. Yeah. And we got Dave Grohl uh yeah. in the movie and from he, the Foo Fighters from the Foo Fighters and he speaks you, we learned some really interesting things about Julia as a musician um, from Dave, who's known her forever. Right. So uh, we're premiering that at the Tribeca Film Festival in when New York uh, in April, end of end of March, beginning of April. Is there a website people can go to to uh, find well, out more about that? Yeah, the documentary is in con- is in conjunction with Rebel TV. Okay. So people end up seeing uh, the movie. It's called Hard Loving Woman. Uh, on Red Bull TV, so you could you could check that. Cool. And you could also check uh, the Chebecca Film Festival website in New York. If you're in New York and you want to um, come out and support, we're going to do a show with Juliet. Yeah. Um, I've never been to New York. Get the fuck out of here, Dozer. Swear to you, I've been all over the world. I've I'm never New York. been to New York. we got to go to New York. we got a lot of friends there. we got to go to New York with Kelly. Yeah. And get you, like, G-Love to come down from Philly and meet us. Oh, it'll yeah. Be, it'll be on. I did such a good podcast a couple of weeks I'm back with you love to, to listen to it yeah he was so much fun and um, yeah he's he's same thing he lives in Boston yeah Boston he's that's right he's in Boston now Boston strong is it Boston Boston yeah pack the cat and have it yeah 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 apparently he lives right next door to um, Tom Brady of course yeah he's a, he's a superstar he said they can wave at each other while they're pooping and stuff <laughs> that's really awesome um yeah, so I'm re- I really enjoy the stuff that that we make, and I, I like the idea of being able to take everything I've learned from that people have taught me, whether it's at ESPN right. or with my during my years at E Entertainment or whatever, you know, about the business 
and and making stuff and turn that into stuff that ideas that have been sitting in the back of your brain and making them happen right now you know all this media stuff is is definitely stuff that you love but you know what your real passion is let's let's talk about that you know it started back at a young age you know we mentioned it a few times earlier during this conversation and it started with your dad Hugh yeah your dad is just this amazing amazing man that I'm I've heard so much about him I'm just dying to meet him I can't wait for him to come to oh, Fiji man. this year he's coming and, yeah for two weeks yeah it's it's gonna be on but why don't you kind of tell us about your dad and just tell him what you know what he's done for you and how he's influenced you and because you've got some exciting stuff coming out right now well, and and it's and it's because of how you were raised yeah. by this wonderful man. It's funny that we were talking about the Juliet thing um, because it was interesting in, 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 in the interviews with her where she talks about people being almost like not stoked on it. Like, why are you making music? Like, I wanted to see you make movies. I wanted to see you make music. But that's what she wanted to do. You mm-hmm. got you to stick with your passions um, and, and your heart. You know, you gotta, right. you gotta be true to your heart. And for me, music has always been—it's in my blood. Like I, like I said, you know, growing up with with my dad, I went on the road with my dad from a very young age. As I continue to grow up, I went on tour with my dad. My dad was on tour with Paul Simon on the Graceland tour. Wow! And my dad took me out of school for the greater part of a year, and I was a 15-year-old roadie on the Graceland tour. That's crazy. Um, with with my father and. and Blazement, Black Mambazo, and Pulse. It was one of the biggest tours in the world, you know? Wow. Um, and I played clarinet and saxophone in, in the bands from mm. elementary school on. I sang in the choir. I could see you playing saxophone. I was good. I was a good sax player. I played uh, the French horn. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, There's a hot chick right I in the row. Say, and always, I was like, there's always one or two super smokers on the French horn. Yeah. Um, as there were in the clarinet line yeah. and then I went to saxophone I was like I'm going to be back over there with Chelsea Albuquerque and Tara <laughs> in the, in the uh, woodwind section in the woodwinds but I sang in the choir and you know was in drama and all that stuff and when I moved to Cali that stuff didn't exist in school really it wasn't cool right and if you were a band you were just like yeah and they just not too cool. they were playing music that I was playing in 8th grade in high school <laughs> marching band stuff and I was like I'm, I'm, over, I'm not into yeah. this and that's how surfing sort of became a thing but right. I never lost my passion for it um, and it, in the back of my mind I was like I want to do something with my music with music again and my cousin whose father produced all of my dad's records mm-hmm. my dad's great records was a kid named Sonny Levine he and I, when I moved from San Diego to, to Los Angeles, I moved in with him because he lived in L.A. And we built a studio inside the house, and he was producing his band, making records, and then other artists started coming through. And he would ask me to, to sing backup on, uh, on on different people's records. And a lot of times those artists would be like, what are you doing? Like, when are you going to make a record? Like, I'm not going to make a record, but thank you. And thanks for letting me, like, Put like some some things that people will barely hear on your album, and then after I was done at E at the Daily Ten, I was I did a show. I called, forgot about yeah, that I did show. An ent- entertainment news show called the Daily Ten from 2006 to 2010. That was like five days a week of just straight Hollywood, mm-hmm. 
my life went through a very interesting place there where all of a sudden you know before only people who knew me were people who were fans of sports right of action sports uh but then it was all of a sudden you were also a reporter for uh the nba too yeah i had two years before i started the the daily 10 i did one season as a sideline reporter on the nba for espn and abc but i don't think that the nba knew what to do with a dreadlock dude from the x games on the sidelines like they just were like what is this and he's not wearing suits and he speaks in like kind of hip speak and the players are really into him well you know every nfl football player now has dreadlocks yeah. because of you i don't know if it's you started me, that but i was definitely was one of the first and maybe those kids were growing up and saw me i don't know but um yeah that only lasted a season super grateful for it had the best time ever Became friends with a lot of great players. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I got to see Sha- Shaq and Kobe in their prime together. I covered up great games. It was super fun. That's cool. But when that ended in 2004, it was kind of a weird time because I thought all of a sudden, like, yeah, like, I'm going to get my chance to really go big time. And then it was like, no, you don't get to do that. That just just X Games for you. And my agent called me and said, you know, you got to do this. This E thing is a good opportunity. And I was really conflicted to do the Daily Ten because it was basically a daily gossip entertainment. It's like TMZ. It was before, right before TMZ started. Yeah. And I just, I didn't, I liked to read Us Magazine privately in my toilet. Right. Um, and I also lived in LA, so and I was out at all the clubs, so it was always the stories about people you knew. So it was, it was funny. But the idea of doing one of those shows, I was worried that I was the majority gonna, lies too, right? Yeah, or half truths. Well, I remember one time being with Julia Julia Roberts and Danny Motor. Yeah, and seeing looking over and seeing somebody reading one of those Us magazines or whatever they were. Yeah, and it says they're getting a divorce. So and so cheated, and I'm going. You guys are right here with me. You guys seem pretty happy. Yeah, it, it, they want and they, they. It was it was a weird world because people who work in that business they think they're reporting the news. Yeah. The, the good thing about the Daily Ten was they they wanted the show to be a little irreverent. Mm-hmm. I took the position of I'm going to be the guy who's laughing at the idea that we're even talking about this because it's probably not true. Right. And so I just poked fun at as many stories as I could. And the ones that were true, I doubly poked fun at. In a way that I, I tried not to be mean-spirited to people unless right. they did like super obnoxious shit. And even then, it'd be like, what, what, why is this? How is this a thing? And when I'd go to do... What is one of the most memorable ones that you that you did? Ah, uh, you know what's a really funny one? <laughs> a really funny one is when Kelly was in Israel. At Bar Raphael. And there was that incident with Bar Raphael <laughs> where everyone was like oh Kelly and Bar Raphael it's a thing and you're like wait a minute I, I, let me do the math on this and so then you have to like call your friend you're like hey they're doing this they're running this story you're like what's what's the deal so I can make this not be a thing and then you know when you get the scoop because you actually have the first hand account right. and all the other news outlets are reporting that this is a thing yeah I took great pride in being able to be like uh, I spoke to Kelly Slater today 
that's not a thing. Right. Well, the same thing. Kelly, Kelly, we all know he's dated some of the... Oh, let's most, not take anything away from, from Giselle, the, the home Pam, runs that he did hit. What, yeah. And he's at the top of the mountain now yeah. with Kalani, the best of them all. Absolutely. Yeah. She's like our little sister. And But I remember another time when it was Cameron Diaz. She right. just broke up with Justin Timberlake. Yeah. They were over on the Big Island with me. And, you know, she's heartbroken. And she was crying. But in the media world, they were on a trip together. Right. And it was so not that way. And they were... They were homies. Total homies. They were homies. But the I world mean, thought that, hey, Kelly Slater and Cameron Diaz are... I remember when we did Surf's Up, the movie, and we were doing the press junket here in, in Hawaii, and she was on her way to do a tour for Shrek. And she stopped by, and media just the the paparazzi followed us around for three days. Oh, so was you too. It was wild. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's world. It was actually it was actually me. Kelly was actually just covering for me to do. Yeah, I've you know I've had the same thing with Adriana Lima one time <laughs> we were hanging out, but you know it was true. You know we dated uh, for a while. I wish Adriana, I love you. God, there's just so many fucking stories <laughs> from that time. But um. Anyway, but so you story, got out of E. I got out of E. I was like, I can't. I, I had fun. It was cool, I, but it got to a certain point where I couldn't. I couldn't make the stuff fun anymore, and they also were mad at me that I that, that I was poking fun at the stories, and they're like, "You got to take this seriously." It was like, "We're the CNN of entertainment." I'm like, "No, we're not." And so I broke out. They they canceled the show and decided to make this Ryan Seacrest's show. Which came on right before me. They decided to make that a whole hour. Wow. They kept the entire staff and my co-hosts and got rid of me because they knew that I guess they thought that Ryan and I couldn't really occupy the same space. There'd be no oxygen left for well, me. Well, two great-looking dudes, and uh, I was stoked because they still owed me a year in my contract. Nice. So they let me go, and that led to Sonny calling me up one day a few months after I got let go. Because, of course, the first thing I did was take a bunch of surf trips and snowboard trips. And he said, let's make this album already. Like, so why don't you stop bullshitting around with all this shit? You've done what you've had to do. Time for you to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And we went in the studio and uh, started writing and made my first album. We made our first album. Um, and then musically, I'd go by Alakazam, mm-hmm. which is Master Killer, backwards. And it was an incredible experience because it felt like and I say like, oh, we we made our first album. That was not, <laughs> it was not that easy. Yeah. I mean, it was months of sitting and grinding, and really having to work hard to make something of merit. You know, to make something that came from from me, um, and make something that I was going to be proud of, and not feel weird about the rest of the world. Well, here. tell us about your music. What what style? What type of music is it? I, I, I would because I I know your voice. I've heard you sing. There was one, one time in Fiji when G Love Kelly, Christy Lee, yeah, one of the most amazing she, voices I've ever heard. She's got a, and you got up there and sang. If Cedar, it if, blew if me if, out of the water. If you took the scent of, if you took ce- like wood, like a cedar and honey, that's what Christy Lee is to me. Yeah, um, she just blew me away. But it was an honor she blew everybody away that night to be able to to sing with them. Um, and Kelly and I have always sang together. For, I knew you for had years. a good voice, but when you did that, 
I was my jaw hit the ground. I was Thanks. just like, "What the fuck was that?" I think we did uh, we did a a, a, a tavrua rendition of uh, sexual healing. Yeah, and that's when I, I guess people hadn't really heard me sing. But yeah, it's something that I love, man. And and is it I'm, bluesy? No, is it's. It I'd say soul? it's 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 a it's a soulful alternative R and B. It's a. Okay. Uh, it takes a lot of different styles of music that I've loved over my life and sort of mixes them together. Um, but I call it alternative R&B. And this last, this last album that we just finished um, is definitely that with like a, a real ode to like early, to the rhythmic feel of like early 90s hip hop. But the first album is called The Sound of Alakazam. Okay. And... Um, and the next one's right, that's coming out here. It's, it's called Soundproof Heart. Soundproof Heart in what, yeah. April? Yeah, well, I think we'll put it out in April or May. There's a single for this one is called All Is Forgiven that we put out uh, last spring. And that song's done. We put it out in, I think, in May, April, May last year. You're about to have like a million spins on Spotify? Yeah, right now, as of this time, we're at like a 930,000 spins on Spotify and it, we we get like seventy thousand plays a week, basically. Lately. Like it just it, it just increases, and it's it's cool because I don't have a, a record deal, a uh-huh. distribution deal, no marketing dollars. Jack Johnson, Brushfire Records, listen <laughs> up. <laughs> but it, it, I think it feels good to have the success of the music be strictly because people are building a relationship with the music and I don't have to be like I'm Sam I'm killer I make albums right because um, I don't think people would really have the patience for that so when people hear oh this is a band called Alpazam and then they find out that it's me a lot of times they're just people who are in the music they don't know who I am sure and then maybe some of them might be like oh how's it that guy how many guys are in the band um, when we're making an album we call in all of our musician friends and Quincy Jones and Puff Daddy all those well, you know guys. the funny thing about Quincy Jones is huh. Sonny his grandfather on his mother's side is Quincy Jones really yeah wow so um, we do get a little Quincy Jones influence yes wow. but uh, it's Sonny and I that write um, and all the music Sonny produces um, and I sing and then we just call in our different musician friends and when we play shows it's probably about four or five of us Wow. Um, depends. Sometimes we can strip down to three, three or four, depending. Well, I've been doing some concert promoting here in Hawaii. Thanks. With all we're kinds we're of gonna, we're gonna play a lot. We're gonna play a lot of shows this year. I would love to bring you guys over here and yeah. just, and just do a full, full round the round the state tour. This year, I'm really focused on the first album. I hid behind yeah. a bit because you know when you do a new thing and you put it out, you're like, oh shit, why did I do that? But then we got a song on one of the... We put that album out in twenty end of 2011. We got a song on one of the final episodes of Entourage. Uh-huh. That was huge. Really? Yeah. In the movie or in episode? In the show, one of the yeah. final episodes on HBO. Um, the song called It's Not You, It's Here. And that was amazing. Like, oh, wow. Like, that's us. In this pivotal you know, scene in the show, that got us a little play. KCRW in Los Angeles started playing us. Um, then we got a show on... on a song on Showtime's House of Lies uh-huh. that was cool and then this song for All Is Forgiven well, this song All Is Forgiven was the closing song to the season premiere of House of Lies uh, uh, Don Cheadle your buddy Don right. Cheadle's House of Lies right. 
And that was crazy. Like, we, they brought us to the premiere uh, at Showtime, and Don was there, and he was... I was just like, how is this happening? How cool is Don? He's amazing. He is probably one of the nicest human beings next to yourself. He's really cool, and he's always been... Down to earth. No matter what sort of end of things I've been doing in the business, whether I was just at X Games or E, whatever, he's always treated me with the utmost respect and just been cool. And he had to give final approval for the song, so that just felt cool that Don was like, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Let's run that. So I'm excited to put out this... uh, this album and I'm excited to to get more out in front of it and, and have fun with it and how many and songs then, do you have on the album so nine far? nine yeah cool and then we're shooting a video for just shot a video with Troy Bryant uh-huh. and Erica Christensen for All Is Forgiven we'll put that out at the end of February and at the end of this podcast we're also going to play yeah. All Is Forgiven yeah so, so super stoked thank you yeah. and you guys can you know, check check us out uh, like our Facebook page, Alakazam, uh, as well as uh, we're on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. The first album is there, as well as the new single. And it's um, you know what the best part about it is, Dozer, for me is this idea that I think sometimes we limit ourselves to sort of what we are supposed to be mm-hmm. and what we're supposed to do. And we don't give ourselves a chance to find out um, if we can do what we really want to do in life. And most people, because of uh, maybe it's responsibilities or how they think people are going to think about them, they don't take those chances. Those are all very real fears that I had um, with the music. You know, I told my agents not to book me or put me out for anything for four months when I made the first album. If you're an agent or a manager or a lawyer and you hear your client say that, they're like, oh, we need to get a psychiatrist. This guy, show just got canceled and he's having yeah. some, some weird uh, delusions. And I'm, but I'm, I'm glad that, you know, despite how people freaked out, like, that I stuck to my guns because it was in my gut. And even if, even if no one ever even if these cool things weren't happening for the music, I'm just stoked that I did it. Yeah, well, you, it. you know what's what's really killer is that you did do it. You did make it, not just in the music, but look at where you started this whole conversation that we've had, you know, telling your whole story of how you started, how you moved to California, having nothing, learning how to surf, you know, fighting the odds, dude, you know. Getting into Transworld Surf, getting into the media. Now look at where you're at right now. That you've created something for yourself. You did, Sal. Nobody else did it. You did it. You know, you, we've had a lot of great friends that help us out along the way. Incredible. I could have done none of none of it would happen without the support of a, a lot of amazing people. But at the end of the day, yeah, you you, you have work to hard to create it yourself. Yeah. And, and you've gotten to the point now that you are able to do stuff that you love. And that's your music. Yeah. And, and um, what is the future for Sal Mascala? Um, are, we gonna, to- are we going to see you with a WSL? <laughs> you that know, would be good. I got an email from... You and Ross Williams and... I got an email from... Uh, after, at the end of the Vulcan Pie Pro from someone at the WSL. Um, saying we'd like to have another conversation with you about perhaps being part of uh, our broadcast. And it was, 
it was really cool to 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 get that because truth be told when they announced all of the announcing teams when WSL first took over and my name wasn't a part of it in the beginning I was a little chapped mm-hmm. because I thought that I had more than made the case that I deserved to be a part of the con- the conversation and I had actually had one conversation with the WSL and then they never called me and I so I found out about it in the media like everyone else did mm-hmm. and I was like oh okay well I guess that's the direction that they chose so but I it, commentating surfing is something I was always really passionate about right but you can't do everything mm-hmm. and it for the last couple of years it's been cool just to be a fan right uh, and just sit back and be a fan and, and, and watch surfing and not have to like work yeah. um, but getting back in the booth this weekend doing the Vulcan Pipe Pro definitely got the the wheels greased again be like oh I get the, this this I know how to drive this car on the track. And Dude, I, you're like butter when you talk on these things. You're just so confident. So just it's just having fun. It's having fun. You're just rolling. Just being a fan and having but fun. But look at the view that's right in front of you, too. Yeah, you're at Pipeline watching the world's best. 100 feet away from I sometimes 12 feel like, feet. Yeah, I barrels. sometimes feel like you can put a microphone in front of anyone's face in that situation. Uh, and they're going to they're gonna be able to do a good job. But, yeah, it was dope to get the call. And I'd love to... To do what would be really epic would be able to dovetail the music and and doing some select events. So let's say like you know they said would you do the Quick Pro and and maybe a couple other events and being able to go work an event and then go tour and play Alkazam shows in those areas. That would be like that would be really good. That would be the best like one stop shop ever and also take advantage. Of, uh, yeah, because some, some of these um, tour stops, like in Europe, um, yeah, oh are just God. they have uh, and, in and France, I think Bell's Beach, France, um, Australia, you know, huge festivals that yeah, go along with the surf. Contest. There's places that like like that for me that would be that'd be cool. Brazil, the other, you know, what's really cool about you know something like Spotify. You can see where all your fans are. You can see where everyone's playing the music, uh-huh. and that's the exciting part. Is like people are playing. Are, are, they play the music from all over the world. Yeah. So where are you getting your biggest hits from right now? Uh, Argentina, uh-huh. Brazil. Uh, where else? Spain. Wow. Uh, the states. A lot of people in America. Um, yeah, Mexico. But like weird places. Places where you're like, wait, they like our music. Where? Yeah. It's a trip. Well, we need to hook you up with Perry Farrell so you can get on Lollapalooza now. Well, actually, you know, the... Re- in the Brazil and Argentina. Yeah. I hooked up with Perry because we broadcast Lollapalooza on on Rebel TV. Uh-huh. And I actually go down there and host the, the broadcast for three days on Rebel you. TV. So I've been hanging out with him a bunch the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I got to hang out with him a few months back over in Northern California. He's, he's one of a kind, man. He's such a good guy. Him and his wife. Surfer. So amazing. Yeah, total surfer. And, you know, just their show was all time. I watched the show. That, that was like one of the first um, Point of Power shows. Was it? Oh, Jane's Addiction shows in, in a while, right? In a long while. Yeah. Yeah. And so they played at the Fillmore in San Francisco on Friday night. Saturday night, they were at um, this huge festival in Sacramento. So I went with them out there. They had a chick 
You know, you know how those chicks they uh, they people with the hooks. Yeah, she had hooks into her back. Two girls, and they're swinging across the stage. You know, you got a hundred thousand people out there screaming. These girls are swinging. One girl got stuck. No, it couldn't come down. She was up there for like an extra thirty minutes. I talked to her afterwards. Hanging by her skin. Hanging, bro. I'll show you the videos on Fuck my phone, and I'm just shit. like. Are you kidding me? And Perry's like, oh my gosh. Finally, he had to stop the show at the end. And he's like, we got to focus on getting this girl down. She can't hang anymore. And she, Literally, she, cannot she, hang. She told me, uh, <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I couldn't feel it. It got so numb, I just couldn't feel it anymore. And she, I'm surprised it didn't rip through her back. Ah, Bro, stop I'll talking. Sh- I'll show you this video. You'll be stop like, talking. holy crap. That's wild. Yeah, so anyway, um, I'm so excited for everything that's happening with you, bro. Um, you know, man, I'm having uh, the most fun. If someone had told me that at you know 44 I'd be having the most fun after everything that I've gotten to live, and in some, in some ways feel like you're just getting started, like in a lot of ways I feel like I'm just getting started. Yeah. Um, and that feels good. But I think the biggest lesson I've learned in the last year is that I'm never going to have it all figured out. Yeah. And that takes all the pressure off. Because mm-hmm. you just like, you get to live. Yeah. Well, you're definitely living, my friend. I'm so proud of you, man. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Doing this thing. We're Speaking of like reinvention and doing what you what you feel you, you know in your heart you, you're capable of doing, you still had to... We could all tell you that you could do this, but you still had to flip the switch. Yeah, it was fun. Well, thanks to uh, people like you, you know, giving me all that support, and and people like Logan, you know, and you know, he's it's just like let's do it, let's go, you know, Bob Hurley, just come on, Dose, you got. I'm this. just glad I got in early before, you know, you're sitting down with. I know you're going to get Julia. Oh, I'll, I'll get everybody. Yeah. So I got to get in now it's be good. before Julia Roberts. I can't. I can't wait to bring you back. I cannot wait to come back a year from now. Yeah. To see if we'll we'll do that. We'll come back a yeah, year, we'll from, now. A year we'll, from now. And see we'll see where I am physically and you are physically. And you know, I'm going to change my diet, obviously. And Musically, for me, is I think I'm very curious to see where things happen over the next year. So me too. Yeah, man. Me too. I want to charge some big waves with you when we go to Tavi next year. We are going to be there for two weeks. We're definitely going to have that opportunity. Right. So that place is just amazing. I'm, I can't wait to go back. I know you can't wait to go back. Thanks for this, man. This is it's an honor to, to be one of the early guests. And it's funny, like, you don't think about, like, I don't sit around and talk about my life like this. So it's rather cathartic and... It also makes me appreciate, really doubly appreciate, just how truly lucky I've been. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, brother. Right on. And um, once again, thanks for coming and doing this. We'll check back in in a year. Good luck on your music. I can't wait to hear this new song. Um, It's called All Is Forgiven. You're going to hear it right now. And the album's coming out in April, so you guys check that out. You guys can find it on iTunes and Spotify. Alakazam. Alakazam. And that's, that's that's my music name. And one more uh, shout out to our sponsors. Um, just a real quickie out to Deuce Gym in Venice Beach, uh, Original Nutritionals, mm-hmm. um, and Hurley Clothing. 
You got Hurley now too. Hurley clothing. She's a GoPro. What? Yeah, you can find all of this on the GoPro channel. It's so fucked up because another year from now, like you're gonna have so many, so ones. many wild ass sponsors. I'm gonna see you just like Red Bull was like trying to hit me up earlier. Really? Oh yeah. No, not really. Okay. I offered it. They're I mean, like, nah. It might be too dark. Yeah. You know, they, they have a certain guideline for things you can and can't talk about. We'll, we'll do the debauchery side for for Red Bull later. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it's fun. It's fun. Things are working out for the both of us. I love it. Um, let's get to your song, brother. And thanks again for coming. Thanks, man. Love you. Aloha. Doze Nose out.
of the air. 